The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Happy birthday, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. I did Appreciate not that. know it was your birthday when we scheduled this. Yeah, so it's, it's exciting. Uh, I, I, you know, my, uh, my sister's birthday is today as well. She's we're five years apart, exactly to the day. What? Yeah. How weird. Day. Yeah, my mom had great timing. That's <clears> amazing <throat> timing. And so yeah, so forever, probably since I was like ten, it's been her birthday. Like I that's wake up and say crazy odds. Yeah. Like what are the odds? Like five years apart on the same day. Yeah. I guess I thought about that before. I mean, I guess the odds are just one out of three sixty-five. I mean, at the end of the day, that's that doesn't matter. Are they really? Because twenty-five years apart, it's still we only have three hundred sixty-five days a year, so it has to be one of those days. I guess, mathematically speaking, I think. I feel like there's something missing in that equation, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? It's like one of them trick problems. Right, 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 right. Work. Right. Oh, it's way higher than that. Yeah. Probability is a little less than one in 500,000 of a family with two children who aren't twins that share the same birthday. Really? Ooh, wow. see? Maybe this yeah. is actually for two years. Well, okay. I think it's just that's what it was. Sorry. Yeah. They were looking for two kids that were born two years apart on the same day. Yeah. That might yeah. actually, actually, I guess as you get closer, probably because there's some sort of rebound rate. Like you can't, yeah. you know, well, you can't just five years apart. It's like, all right. But like, still it, wild. It is wild. No, and, and she waited. She was she was she was due in August, mid August, and then she just chilled and hit the snooze until my birthday. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, I was saying the only thing I remember, um, really, of that whole situation was that my mom missed my fifth birthday party, and I was like, "Where's mom?" And they're like, "Well, she's having your sister," and I'm like, "Well." Why can't she be at my birthday party? <laughs> Does that have to do with anything? It's kind of like that's hilarious, and yeah. that's what you remember. Yeah, I do remember that pretty clearly, pretty clearly. But you know, obviously, I love the her young ones steal the thunder. But it was it was really great. You know, I think that it was. Um, you know, I, I she and I were very close, and it kind of created this kind of twin connection thing that I've always really kind of enjoyed. Is like this is like it's a cool story. It's a little thing that you can talk about and remember and it's it's really it's that you both have birthdays the same day. Yeah, and we're always it was kind of cool to always kind of it was cool to share it in a in a way. I've never been someone that I was very possessive on that kind of stuff. So it was great to share that with somebody. I always felt sorry for kids that had like Christmas birthdays. That's a totally different thing. Yeah, I agree. Then you get that you get that Christmas (laughs) slash birthday gift. I would just lie to my kid. I'd be like, dude, you were born in July. Yeah. (laughs) Let's get get the fuck out of here with this Christmas shit. Yeah. Because that's that's bullshit for a kid because they look for that you know that's a big deal your birthday for at least the first few years of your life i I had a you know i have an interesting perspective also my mother was uh you know single mother raised me and my grandmother and um I always thought that you should celebrate the parent for like the first ten years, or something. Like that's a good call. As a kid, right? it's kind of like I mean, what what'd you do in the beginning? Yeah, it's like it's like your mother is like, "Happy birthday, congrats, good job on what you created." And then we'll see if you this kid is worth celebrating later on. <laughs> Give him a little time. The thing is that that's the only birthdays that mean a fuck. Like when I have a see a grown man at a show <laughs> going, "It's my birthday!" Like that's right, bitch. Your birthday was thirty fucking years ago. It that's is right. not today. You're a grown man. That's right. You know yeah. that's that is some weak shit. Yeah, we all have get birthdays. all excited yeah. about having a birthday. It's my birthday today. Yeah, especially like the people that come to the bars and ask for free. free oh, stuff. fuck off! Right? Yeah. In the hospitality you're industry, twenty-one. That's got to like, be no. annoying. Twenty-eight. I'm like, what? Get... You should have a job. Yeah, <laughs> you know? we shouldn't be asking for a free drink. That's right. Ever. Ever. 
But what what do you have to do in those situations? Do you have to go? Do you have to like kind of accommodate them? Or? I mean, at the end of the day, for me, it's like it's opportunity cost. The amount of time that it would like, why ruin this person's experience? This person, right. you know, it's it, we are. If you're truly in this, like I'm in the hospitality hospitality industry for the purest reasons, which I really enjoy taking care of people. So if somebody hands you a roadmap on how to make them happy use it like why why what where's the goal in where, what do i win there's nobody taking keeping score of some sort of you know global you know scoreboard that says that he you were right and this customer's wrong you know it's like no who cares like you gave me the opportunity to make you happy by giving you a drink and you get to tell your friends that i got a free drink and go for it here you know, that's so a good that's attitude worth the price of admission for me it's got to be hard though because you are celebrating twats yeah. Well, it's 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 hard insofar as it depends on like the reasoning. You know, I think that if there's some people out there that's maybe just trying to get one up on somebody and trying to get some free stuff and whatever like that. And you know, they're just taking advantage of you. Like, but again, how long have you been in the restaurant business? I mean, I started bartending, you know, early eighteen nineteen. So uh, four to twenty four years. So it was one of your first jobs ever. I started college early. I was 16. And then I. Oh, and Mr. Then, Smarty Pants. I, I, I was because I was born in September. And then my family wasn't like, well, we're supposed to wait another year. And they're like, nope, we'll put you in a Montessori school. I'll <laughs> get you started now. And then went into, went into school. And um, my last year in high school, they switched over to this block scheduling thing. So I ran out of classes. And my family, um, also my mother, we put me in summer school every year because she heard about summer school and was like, yeah, go to school, continue going to school. Wow. And I ran out of classes. And so we were, I was able to take some college classes and then I got accepted in college and went, went that summer before I turned you know, 17. What was that like being in, around a bunch of fucking grown ass kids when you're basically 16? I was, a, I was an old man. I, I, I really, it's weird. I have this kind of juxtaposition I feel like too, also all with my upbringing and everything like that. I've always been kind of an old, mindset i kind of walk and walk around and look at these kids like what are you, what are you <laughs> like what are y'all doing how come i don't know and, and i think but that's where the 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 thing was i think i was forced to kind of grow up a little bit faster with single parent and my mm. grandmother raised me and then having to help you know with my sister and everything and so but i'm also very childlike in that way because i think a lot of that kind of got you know taken away a little bit so i still you know i still enjoy cartoons and marvel movies or whatever it is and these type of things these escapism stuff that i feel like i just never really kind of fully got out of the way and so it's like I, you grew up fast and now it's like you're making up for lost time and doing that kind of stuff i, I started embracing them again i thought they were foolish like comic books and comic book movies and stuff like that i yeah. thought they were foolish for a while and then i got as i got older i go but wait a minute i like those and then I started embracing them as I got in, I guess, into my 30s. Yeah, I think I think you should have a better understanding. And again, not to get so super deep on superhero movies, but I think there is something that, that really kind of shines a mirror on people. To, if you have this blank canvas and be able to create something as to whatever you wanted and then you can create this person. It's kind of interesting. I remember, I, I forgot there's an essay going around or something that's talking about like Superman, for instance, and like how there is some interesting psychology behind it. The idea that everyone on Krypton is Superman and his alter ego is actually a human as opposed to every other superhero's alter ego is 
their superhero, but he actually has to pretend to be normal because he just himself is, mm. you know, whatever. It's like this weird kind of thing. And I remember reading that kind of stuff and thinking about that and thinking about how, like, um, most recently, I think Spider-Man, they finally cast a young young guy as opposed to like a grown man. And there's like, what kind of stuff would you go through as a teenager that all of a sudden discovered that you have all this stuff going on? And they did a good job in the most recent movies about him going to high school and telling his best friend and getting caught about it and getting all this sort of stuff. I feel like there's like, as an adult watching it is not the same. I think I really enjoy it on a different level, but it's cool. Yeah, well, it's just superhero movies they're just fun. That's all it is. That's right. It's just yeah, it's fun. It's junk food. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Enjoy it. Junk right. food it, for the mind. Yeah. I think that there's there's a time, like when people would come by and say, this didn't have any, it's like, are you arguing the realism? Like well, the people who pick it apart like that? It's just kind of They strange. can do whatever they want. Like if, they, yeah. if that's what you want to do with a superhero movie, yeah. go back and do that about Bugs Bunny too, stupid. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, he got shot in the face. He could totally not yeah. survive that. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's a talking rabbit, bro. Yeah, exactly. None of it makes any sense. You yeah. know what I watched the other day that I haven't seen in a long time? The Watchmen. Yes. That's a fucked up movie. Yeah, but that's, uh, there's, um, I mean, that is so well written. Yeah. And especially the new, the, have you have, do you watch the series? The TV? No. The, the, the one? I was watching the series for a little, but Dr. Manhattan's bullshit. Like, Dr. <laughs> Manhattan's supposed to be a glowing nuclear blue guy with a giant dick, and all of a sudden he's a regular guy? Right. I was like, right, what, right, you, right, right, right. what is this nonsense? Right. That's like if the Hulk oh. was just a guy who, like, went to CrossFit. Wait, wait, wait. In the, in the HBO series? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean... So, Bro, he's supposed to be super jacked yes, with a giant yes, dick. That's true. Okay, that's that's true. that's, that's Doctor Manhattan. <laughs> that's, that's right. He's supposed to be able to like time travel and, and do go, whatever he wants. Yeah, right? go to God. other planets yeah, and shit. God. Yeah, for he sure. He seems way too normal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> see, let me see what he looks like. Pull up what he looks like. Because the one in the in the Watchmen the movie, like it looks like what you'd expect a god to look like. That's he's right. got the crazy white eyes. He's almost like animated. Whereas everybody else in this show is, you know, basically yeah. just a person with superpowers. For sure. And, and some of them don't even have superpowers. And I think that yeah. that's, that's, again, that's one of those things where living in a world. Oh, God, what is, this, what is that? Yeah, look at him. Get the fuck out of here. How is that Dr. Manhattan? That's ridiculous. The real Dr. Manhattan in the movie is like a perfect per specimen. He's like a yeah. god. He glows. And then this other one is just like a dude with makeup on. Like, they just got lazy. Like, I don't understand it. There's a, what is the, oh my God, I can't, I, I'm blanking on it. Jamie, Look what, at him. What? Well, Look at that. That's not it, that's not it, that's not it. That's like almost a porn <laughs> that, that's, 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 that? a, that's a cosplay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's just some guys for uh, hanging out at Comic-Con or something. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank God. <laughs> I'll throw up in my mouth. <laughs> let, him, let himself go. It just, it, it, I just watched it for a little bit and I was like, I don't know, it's just, like, it's but, but it is, it is more raw. I think that the, the when you're talking about a show or movie or that kind of stuff, when you start to kind of blend the superhero um, situations into real life like people aren't going to be cool with everything and they're not all going to be cool you know like that's the thing I think there was there been a couple you dystopian type of things where what if Superman was bad and he decided to do mm. terrible shit it's like we what could we do well that's the thing about the Watchmen right like the yeah. comedian is a terrible person in the yeah. Watchmen yeah the guy with the mustache and the cigar yeah. I mean, he's fucking horrible horrible he's a murderer yeah you know and but yet he's a superhero right. it's very 
Yeah. Very and, conflicted. Yeah, the power, yeah. absolute power corrupts absolutely that type of thought process, right? There's, what is the, um, what's that move, the, the, the series, the guy that come out, same, similar situation where um, it's, it's a superhero story and it's about uh, the same thing about these superheroes like Doctor, no, sorry, Mister something. God, man, I can't. I'm blanking on it. But, but it, they basically go follow these superheroes that just aren't good people. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the boys. The boys. The boys. I didn't watch that. Right. Is that good? It's good. I, th- I thought it was like a Watchmen, a Watchmen ripoff. You can kind of see it that way, but it's obviously I mean, it's just very well written. Well, I'm gonna see way. it that yeah, way. Over that. Yeah, yeah, you can see it that way. But, it's like when you make evil superheroes, like that's a. But it's 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 really it is true. I mean, if you had, if you gave somebody a ridiculous amount of power or whatever it is, yeah. like, how could you possibly expect that person to just decide to choose pure? You right. Know, That's what we have with, right now with the government. <laughs> yeah, give a lot of power. They just <laughs> the same sit there and go. Thing. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a weird time for that. You, when uh, so, how long have you opened your restaurant for? How how long has it been open for? So the f- is this your first? Was Wu Chow your first place? Swiss Attic was. That's when I first met you. Aubrey actually brought you in for dinner. When was this? I mean, 2012. Really? Probably 2013, something like that. And where was or that about. at? It's upstairs on Congress, upstairs uh, above the Elephant Room. Um, the Elephant Room. The jazz bar right there on Congress. Oh, okay, I know where that yeah, is. Yeah, so right there on the Fourth and Congress. Yeah, so God, I forgot about that place. Yeah, came in. You were in town randomly. I think it was just right when he was starting up on it, and mm. uh, and brought you in for dinner. I think that was the first time. Uh, like I said, I was working. So that was your first pot. That was my first pot. And what happened in that spot? A, still there. Yeah, it's existing. We just we were a. It's a small upstairs spot that was very kind of aiming towards crowded, high energy sharing food, which is probably the least type of place that you want to open up in the last two years like that, right. that dynamic really yeah. exposed like yeah this is not what i think a lot of people want but we've you know we've as we've kind of gauged into it calmed down a little bit and and spread some people out a little bit i think people are obviously more more okay with it now but early on it was like man how, how in the world are we going to pivot from this the well why the idea of like sharing food like the idea of like doing things family style is that yeah, it was the so are you talking about why it was bad or why yeah. how that well why did I just pick No, that why way? is it bad? Well, I think at the time it was the idea Because of the pandemic. The pandemic. Yeah. Right. It's just that kind of concept. My one of the other one of the other groups I'm a partner with at Native right over here on the east side, um, was a hostel. And, you know, the the entire vibe was to go and stay in a room with a bunch of strangers and, and, and meet people and, and but when we try to pivot when when sorry when we tried to reopen and it was like all right well let's keep people safe and spread out the beds and make sure that the beds are socially distant and all this other stuff i mean the first pers- first night that we opened the first person that sneezed in the middle of their night we get a call that was like i need to move rooms and we're just like yo like this is this is not going to work this is this this, this the, the dynamic isn't isn't what we're trying to do the whole so, hostile thing like you just think immediately about foreign countries you don't think about america when you think of hostels right but it's you know we took it and kind of turned it on its head and at one point it's pre-pandemic we were doing very well because I think there was it was a nicer option it wasn't a cot and you bought you paid for a blanket for a dollar that type it wasn't for economic purposes it was really for the social purposes the social purposes mm-hmm. the idea that you're traveling by yourself in the city you don't know in and it's possible that you'll end up you know um, 
staying in a room with some really interesting people or some people who are also traveling by themselves and have nothing to do. So there's a bar right outside. The, so the hostel, the native was, is also a bar and we'd have a DJ on a Friday night. And so you just go, Hey, you want to go and grab a drink kind of thing is kind of in forced interaction that I think if you're traveling in a, especially if you're traveling, it's, it helps kind of lubricate that, that trip rather mm-hmm. than forcing you to go out to a bar and then and walk into it. And that kind of stuff is just, how, you know, so like when you come up with an idea like that, like how does that ever go from, the meeting to fruition because that seems like a like to get just to get other people on board with that so this one i actually joined on as a partner after the conception of it all um but you know in our conversation of it, it it was a cultural thing it was the idea that we should take this i this culture of of the kind of person that likes to travel that way that likes to meet random people or to you know to just kind of roll the dice on that you know there is true i mean it's a couple people for for whatever reason if you have that mentality to be able to say that the odds are that somebody else is in this room is has this exact same mentality you're kind of ahead of the game these are people these are six people that probably have similar situations than you as opposed to at a hotel where who for who knows why somebody's there but here the, the odds are you're saying, look, it's not. I'm not super concerned about my privacy as <laughs> staying in my own little private room. I'm a social kind of cat because I picked this one place that has, you know, a bar in it and doing concerts or DJs or whatever like that. That kind of that that kind of energy. Um, I'm also looking to you know experience Austin in this kind of way, which they on the east side. Like a lot of the little check boxes that check off to say that this is a kind of person that I am. So, um, you especially know, I, the east side, right? Yeah, and the then east side is filled with like very odd characters. Yeah, it's a very it's a watering. It's like an oasis. I described it as like it's an oasis of where you know you'll see a rhino and a zebra, and a, yeah, they're all just there. It's, yeah. I mean, there's no reason why we're all there. Just we just happen to all gather there. But that was the kind of concept was saying that all right, we like that aspect of the culture, but we also don't like the idea that this is a place where you're trying to somebody save money. So you're just like you're going for a nineteen dollar bed. So you try to save money while you're backpacking through Europe. That kind of experience is a totally different need for a hostel as opposed to this one. It just says, you know, we're paying $40 a bed, $50 a bed, but there's four beds, six beds in that room. But if you, let's say it was a lot of people were groups of four that would rent a room with four beds in it. And you're getting a downtown a hotel for, you know, 160 bucks. And it's on the east side right there as opposed to, you know, $400 at the Four Seasons or something Well, like if that. you have a group of people and you travel together and you can all rent the room together, that's a great deal. You can do that too. Yeah. Right? So there's, there was that little mix. So it was fun. It was great. It was starting to come into its own and, and really kind of doing that. And then the whole world blew up. Well, one of the things that I liked about doing uh, Stubbs when we uh, were doing shows there was uh, you would always come by with all kinds of different food from different restaurants. Right. You really celebrate all the local places and establishments, and it seemed like you would really take pride in bringing us like these burgers from this one local spot or pizza from another local spot or th- that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's how it got started. I mean, I met Dave years ago, um, got introduced to him through uh, Questlove, Amir, who's a friend of mine, who's also a foodie, and that's we met through food as well. And um, I just remember he was coming here and... And, you know, no no shade on corporate-type restaurants, but it was like 
one of the conversations we have, especially for people who are on tour, it's like you can a lot of times that kind of experience is comforting. Like it's like, but people eat McDonald's on the road because it always tastes exactly the same or whatever it is. But at the same time, I'm like, if you had somebody to just guide you through whatever city you're in, like why wouldn't you? Like why why would you go to Philly and not have a Tony Luke's or something like that? Why would you? What's go, Tony Luke's? It's a cheesesteak spot. Or Max's or anything, you know, mm. any of the local cheesesteak spots that are dope. Like when I go there and I ask somebody who lives in Philly, they'll definitely say, don't go to, you know, Pat's or Gino's or whatever it is, because that's the, it's a tourist trap, you know, whatever it is. Right. And, and so it's like the same thing. It's like, so I was telling, they would sit there and say, where should we go eat? And then find out that they ended up going to, you know, like one of the nights was Shake Shack. Shake Shack's great. I like Shake Shack's burgers. But it's like, we have local burger spots that are dope, that that would love to have a chance to serve and expand their audience of people who had to experience their food. What's the best local burger spot? And if you don't say Golden Tiger, I'll lose respect for yeah, you. Yeah, Golden Tiger. I brought Golden Tiger to y'all. Did you? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, and then I also brought these. I found out about it from Philip. Philip from uh, Sushi Bar ATX? Yeah, Philip Lee. Yeah, yeah, he's the shit, and and they're they're fantastic. And these smash burgers—that's my style of burger too. Mm -hmm. You know, that just basic one. Um, the other ones that I was doing um, is Bad Larry's. Bad Larry's. Yeah, they they do. It's a pop up spot. They own a couple bars, and then they do this thing once a I think it's once a week. How do you find them? Uh, they're on social media. I'll, oh, okay. I'll, I'll connect you, and then um, but yeah, they just do a pop up, and then you have to pre order it's it. It's a burger club. Yeah, it's a burger club. Oh, a burger club. <laughs> so fancy. How Austin of them. <laughs> yeah. But I brought them I brought them backstage too one of yeah. those days too. But it's like, you know, that's 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 the vibe. And then also, you know, burgers range, you know. I think that if you really talk about somebody who like I do as much as I love food, it's like, yeah, there's a steak burger, there's a Are you a guy that burger. likes them flat ass skinny burgers or a thick meaty burger? Flat ass skinny burger. Why is that? I think that there's a textural caramelizational type thing that happens when that happens and, mm. and, and i think it's the, the combo that squishy bun the, that cheese american cheese that's there's something nostalgic about that i think mm -hmm. for me as opposed to um, a steakhouse burger which i'm like if i'm at a steakhouse i'm gonna eat a steak yeah i'm not eating a steakhouse burger at a steakhouse but i do like a fat burger a fat juicy one yeah it's but also harder the, to cook. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, like you have to make to sure it's not dry. That's right. Because when you bite into one of those and it's dry, it's such a bummer. Oh, that, that big gray, that inch of gray band. Dude, yeah. I used to get uh, at Fuddruckers. You know Fuddruckers? <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, they don't have those out here, do they? There's one. There's there? There's one left. But they have ostrich burger. Really? Yes. That was what Super I always lean. would get. Dude, ostrich burger rare. Yeah. Oh my goodness. With uh they have that fake cheese, that squirty cheese yes. that you yeah. pump onto yes. your it's like yeah. a nacho like cheese. A, like ballpark nacho yeah, cheese. It's yeah. like but it's like a jalapeno jack. Yeah. It's got some kick to it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And then they give you two potatoes worth of wedges. Mm-hmm. Like just a whole yeah, bunch of potatoes. Big fat big wedges. wedges. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. And fresh baked buns and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. that. I mean it's and, and I think that's the that's the it's the whole the, the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts when it comes to burgers. Yeah. To me. I think that's the um so for me that's that's where it where it lies. It's just I think it's somewhere I, I, I was saying this to somebody the other day. I cannot distinguish delicious and nostalgic. I, I don't. I think that scratches the same itch in my brain. Like I, when when someone talks to me, something is like, "Do I really like it?" And like, yeah. But give like me an a, example. Give you an example. Uh, a bologna sandwich on white bread. You know, with, with mayonnaise. Yeah, with mayonnaise and it's delicious. Cheese. Delicious. 
Is it delicious? Yes. Or is it because we grew up eating it and it really kind of gets you there? No, it's or, fucking good. Yeah. Well, hey. I mean, Don't you think? I think it's delicious, but I really think it comes from that, like, weird stuff about it is good. I like how it sticks to the roof of your mouth, yeah. that gumminess to it. Right. Or the, I like the that. bread. How yeah, and we're not smushes. allowed to eat white bread now. Like, right. I think that someone would pop out of a, a closet to say... Fuck you doing eating white bread well, like it's you don't spare bread. Yeah, the sugar, right? Yeah. It's like it's a it's it's solid it's a sugar. pastry. Right. And so enjoying that all together is something we're not really allowed to do anymore. And so when I have that, it's just like the only time I'm allowed to have white bread is at barbecue joints. Right. They give you a whole loaf of it. You get a whole loaf of white bread. <laughs> That's right. And but I did you do you ever eat the bread at a bar? I have never eaten white bread at a barbecue place. I'll, I usually save at least one sandwich i make a, a perfect bite sandwich mm. you know i'll do the whole backyard barbecue style with the bread some potato salad some slaw some cream corn some brisket some mac and cheese whatever make it into this amalgam weird white bread burrito type thing and and take at least a bite of that i guess you could do that but for me like the tastes are so good like a real yeah. good brisket yeah, I don't want to fuck that up. With yeah, white you don't bread. want to. That's what I'm saying. You don't. That's not a. It is. It is just to scratch that itch. The furthest I get is I dip it in a little sauce. Yeah, you and know? you shouldn't have to. Well, you, you know, you want to taste the smoke. You want to taste yeah. all that stuff too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but it comes from I think again, having not access to that quality of stuff. That's one of the craziest things about Austin is the variety of barbecue. I mean, this is absolutely the craziest barbecue place I've ever been to in my life. And that's recent. Because you think. can't survive if you're not good. Yeah. And I think and when people ask me about Texas barbecue, uh, I'm like, it's the Olympics. Meaning between first and last place of like the 100-yard dat. I mean, the dude, the last guy is still pretty fucking fast. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, like, there's people who don't make it into the Olympics. Right. But when you take the top 10 best barbecues in Austin. I mean, you're yeah. splitting hairs. Like you really Right. When you go like Terry Black's, La Barbecue, yeah. Franklin, Style Switch, Micklethwaite's and you There's know, so many good ones. Right. Exactly. And so like it, this place is so spoiled in that regard. Yeah. And then you start to gauge really off of sides. Like I think that's to me it's kind of like do I feel like Who's got the best sides? It's you know it depends on each one you know like if you the, the if barbecue's you have like got a, incredible mac and cheese to me I really oh. love that um, style, but if you have like switch an has, open like if you have an open day and you have a thing for barbecue do you have a direction you lean at I so here's uh, I lean towards also some convenience mm. you know I love I love Aaron and he's a great guy but I don't want to call in favors like it's just not fair it's that not line right. is preposterous it's preposterous and, and so to me it's like all right well then Terry Blacks is the only one that opens through they don't sell out like all these other kind of boutique spots or it's like you go, if you don't go there for lunch like you're not having right. you, Terry Blacks opens for dinner Terry Blacks has the most ridiculous array of smokers that's right these enormous propane tanks that they've yeah. converted into smokers yeah. they were explaining to me how many cows die <laughs> Every day the for the restaurant. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's a nutty number, man. They'll give you yeah. a tour, though, which yeah. is pretty sweet. And, and, and there's an artisanship to it, too. Oh, I for think. sure. That's for sure. Oh, and they had like, he has uh, like a legal pad like this written down with all the briskets and like the time when they went, when in. They went in. Yeah. And yeah. when they're wrapping them and they're yeah. spraying them with apple cider vinegar. And yeah. I mean, God damn. And that science to that is fundamentally mind blowing because. You don't. It's like during the pandemic when everybody was fucking with sour, sourdough bread, and I was just experimenting. I still have the starter alive. I just because during the pandemic that was a thing. 
during, during quarantine. How about that? But that was a thing? Around. Everyone's doing sourdough because really? we couldn't find yeast anywhere. So oh. people were starting to fuck around sourdough. And then for me at least, especially anybody who has any sort of desire, culinary type stuff, I was trying to do stuff that took, if it took normally 30 minutes, I tried to make it take eight hours. Like it was, like for instance, I made a sandwich. I made a BLT sandwich where I cured my own bacon. I grew lettuce and How tomatoes. How do you cure bacon? What do you have to do? Take pork belly, mix of salt, sugar, spices, and then let that cure. And then. But when you say cure, what does it entail? So curing is uh, the kind of the chemical process of basically using salt or some sort of other, you know, salt and a mix of other things to draw out moisture to pre- kind of preserve it. So you're are you refrigerating it while you're yes. doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just it's so it's basically you just covering it with spices and salt, a lot of, mostly salt. And then pulling out the moisture, and then, you know, when you whenever you do that, it inf- infuses flavor into it, and then you smoke it. And then once you smoke it, then it becomes bacon. And if, when you smoke it, you're smoking it at a very, very low temperature? Relatively. Yeah. What are you doing in You at? don't have to. Um, for me, I don't know. But it, was, it was 225 degrees, you know? Oh, really? Like that. Yeah. Um, because all I had was a little. I didn't have a Traeger or anything like that, so I was just using a a, a probe thermometer trying to make sure that it didn't go. So you just had a regular offset smoker? Yeah, offset smoker. And, um, and so for me, that whole sam- – try to make the bread, made my own mayonnaise, made my made real uh, – <laughs> made butter from cream. Jesus. <laughs> and made – Were you, you out know, there doing that re- thing? Like the no, thing? you can actually make real butter from cream with a stand mixer, with a, with a food processor. You oh, can make your own butter. that yeah, seems just, like cheating. It is a little bit. Seems I'm like going to like churn. Yeah. Okay, I got you. Next get one. I'll, I'll have to build my own churn. <laughs> Fuck all that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it took me three days and to make a BLT, and I was like, all right, well, wow. what's next? But it was that to the point where I was like, all right, this 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 recipe needs chicken stock. Well, let me make chicken stock from scratch. Because you were just bored. Bored. Well, it was unprecedented amount of free time. Unprecedented, especially yeah. for someone in the business that works. That's so the much. thing about brisket, right? Like smoked brisket is impossible to do quickly. That's right. It's one of the beautiful things about it. That's right. Any any shortcuts exponentially reduces. The I was watching a video the other day online where they were using a pellet grill. They were they they did an oven, a pellet grill, and an offset smoker, and they were trying to figure out what's the best way. And they said, like with blind taste tests, everyone said offset smoker. Yeah. Every time they tested it, like people were like, this one's better. Yeah, just because of the way that the smoke has to cool down. And mm-hmm. There's some science behind that. that yeah. It, but that's that was it, which saying that what what I was going with this saying with that time, you don't know you you don't know you messed up until Til it's over. a day later. Right. You know, half a day. So th- those type of cooking experiences, I don't even understand how people um you know, how do you get there. good at that? Right. Right. Because I, I remember I I opened up a sushi bar years ago and when we were doing taste testing for um the rice and the chef was you know cook a batch of rice with some kombu and a little this and a little that and that but every batch took an hour or so and the batch had to come up we had to let it cool we had to cut the vinegar in there and cut the uh, and then taste it and go nah that's too sweet so we'd have to start our process over again. So to taste four batches of rice took us seven hours or whatever it was. Mm. We're just waiting for the rice to get done. And so it's like these type of things, like this is really a, 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 you know, a lesson in patience because that's the thing. It's like you're trying to do brisket, I don't know, until 
the next morning and then you come back saying, oh, right. the fire was too hot. I cooked it too much. Well, the good news is today with YouTube, there's plenty of tutorials yeah. where you can learn how to yeah. do it correctly. And everybody's, sure. everybody's more than willing to show you the right rubs and how to spray it down and, you know, whether you use aluminum foil or whether you use yeah. butcher paper. There's, there's a – but there is something – at the end of the day, there's the skill that there is some level of – that there's some talent, that whatever it is, the adjustment of recognizing when something mm-hmm. is one way or when something is next. Like when you when you when you, you just do, get better at it, right? You just get better at it. But yeah. you have to know what you did wrong. Mm-hmm. That was the part. So with making with bread, I don't know what I did wrong. Like I'd make two loaves, two days apart, and because it took takes all day to to rise it and fold it and all this stuff. And then one day it'd be great, and the next day it'd be flat. And I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know if the AC was turned on too high, if I was too aggressive with it, if I needed it too much, needed not enough. And so that takes some mentorship there for mm. for someone like an Aaron or someone like you know somebody from uh, the, you know La Barbecue, like Ali, to come by and sit there and tell me, hey. You see right there. You see that jiggle. It's you need to turn the fire up, or you need to spritz it a little bit less, or this little thing, or put it put this one in the back where it's hotter, and put this one in the forward, and you got to do this or whatever. And that comes from experience too. But at the end of the day, like they don't teach that aspect until you have to be standing right next to you. Yeah, the massive amount of time spent barbecuing. Yeah, the, like those folks that you talked about, like La Barbecue or Franklin's or Terry Black's, like the, just the sheer volume of knowledge that they have. Yeah. In specific dishes, I mean, if you look at their menu, they they cook like ten things. Yeah, you know, and, and that's it, and that's it, and, and they then, got that shit dialed. And you think in. about that's generational too. I mean, <clears throat> we had a conversation about whether or not you know Texas barbecue might be one of the few purely American dishes. It started from Germany, but it's like this style. Right. With whatever it is, not smoked meats. Not I don't mean that. Right. I was just talking about this. But whatever isn't it that is. is the reason why it's here? Is German immigrants, immigrants yeah. moved to Texas and then they were smoking meat and then just started changing it and That's adding right. it. Well, it's the difference between like East Coast Italian food right. versus Italian food from Italy. It's right. very different. Right, pizza. Yeah, right. pizza. Well, just spaghetti and meatballs. Right, spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah, that's there's, perfect. there's that's so many dish, right? dishes. Exactly, yeah. yeah, there's so many dishes. Yeah. Lasagna. There's so many dishes that are like very much considered Italian cuisine, but they're not really in Italy. Like you go to Italy, oh, I mean, we maybe, run maybe into they that make their now with Chinese food. Mm. Like, like what is a what's like a American food? Like what's a Chinese American dish? General Tso's chicken. Really? Yeah. General Tso's is not a Chinese dish. It was invented like in the seventies. There's a great dem- the, the, there's a great documentary called The Search for General Tso, mm. and they go back and show this dish to a bunch of people in China and Taiwan and all the places. And they're like, I've never even heard that before in my life. That's interesting. And uh, but it is. It's a, it is a it was brought in by immigrants and it was a it was a cooking thing where they made adjustments to the the demographic they're cooking for. They made it a little bit sweeter. They had yeah. access to. You know, a perfect example is American broccoli is typically served with General Tso's chicken, but that broccoli doesn't exist. The big florets, that that, mm-hmm. that broccoli really doesn't exist in in China proper. You know, there's we have gailan. That's that's our we. That's why they call it Chinese broccoli. You know, that that type of that's what typically we cook with. And then it's when you have access to it here, it's like well, they use that instead. And, what does that look like? Is it does it look like block brock? What is it called? Broccoli rob? Closer to broccoli rob. Yeah. yeah, very close to broccoli rub. I don't know if it's the same 
if Gylon is the same species, if it is the exact same thing as broccoli rice. Does it have the same sort of flavor? Very same. It's a mostly stalk. Still has that kind of bitterness to it. Um, it's 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 leafy as opposed to the florets and like that kind of stuff. And there's some vegetables. It's like bok choy. Bok choy is so delicious. Like how does how did bok choy never catch on to other cultures? I think it's it's demographical. You know, I think that it just can't grow. It's hard to grow in like certain Like your climates. dish at your place, the bok choy with mushrooms is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's a so sleeper because most people the mushrooms is divisive. I think a lot of people see mushrooms and are like, I don't like mushrooms. But there's really? 900 types of mushrooms, right? So, there yeah. it is. Yeah, it yeah. looks like broccoli rob. Yeah. Or broccolini, I guess you would think of it as that too. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it looks yes, very you have different. have a little bit of the, the florets, right? The little bit of it right there. Yeah, it, well, it looks very different in that form. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'll bring some. Okay. <clears throat> but yeah, it's like... Um, but that dish, for instance, it's, it's and so there's no, I mean, fortune cookies or or, or sweet and sour pork. Is it, it is. I think that the Chinese food had this, um, you know, where you you get your salinity from soy sauce and you mm-hmm. get sweetness from you know rock sugar or you add sour from vinegar and this kind of sweet and sour or spicy salty that kind of this type of blending of foods and it's like I think that when you make that connection and somebody else makes a dish something like that then you're like oh that has an Asian type flavor because soy sauce tastes the same when it cooks in a certain way in high heat that type of stuff so you can invent a complete different dish and call it Asian-ish mm. right? you could put soy sauce and ginger and sesame seeds on a burger and it's like well there's something Asian about this thing and it's like yeah but that's where things get weird right with like fusions right right fusions are odd like fusion cuisine I like the concept of fusion as an evolution of a dish as opposed to like just kind of shoving stuff together. Right. You know, like there's no reason necessarily to make a Chinese lasagna and to try to make it one way or the other. But have you I thought think, about it? You said you're saying that like you might have thought about I it. I have thought about it. But it's more <laughs> of like it's more of like a it's uh it's it's like well what would you use for noodles? Well, Chinese people invented noodles, right? But I mean, so, like, yeah, what we, style? So, fly, so wide, flat rice noodles, mm. or something like that. But like, we don't eat a lot of cheese. Chinese people are a lot of Asian people are naturally lactose intolerant, and you know, there's I kind think of stuff. Most like that. people are naturally lactose intolerant. Yeah, <laughs> We're sure. just shoving that delicious <laughs> stuff down our faces. For sure, for sure, it's worth it though. It's worth it. I think to me, I love some cheese. But at the end of the day. There's no, I mean, I think that you should, I like the idea of thinking if a, if somebody got here, met up, married, was in a community with some Italian folks and then saw this and decided to use some Chinese flavors and ingredients to do it, but not just this chimera for no reason, just to just force things together. Like the idea of, like I laugh a lot at the the Asian chicken salad. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and we're like, why is this Asian? And then it's like, well, we put mandarin oranges in it, and wonton crisps, and ginger. And you're like, where'd that come from? You think? I don't know. I think it was just marketing. I think it's just somebody mm. goes, let's let's just market as something exotic. And what's well, crazy is, is like how familiar no it is. That's it like is. A, such a familiar dish. It is, but it's like my, no, I, no Asian person I know had a grandparent that made that for them. My grandmother never was like, let's make salad tonight and canned open of mandarin oranges and yeah that's weird right where something like that just pops up uh, yeah this this spontaneous inspiration in, in, in this world and then wendy starts selling it and then someone yeah it be, well, it becomes sort of 
part of the zeitgeist. Yeah, it just gets out there, and yeah. then everybody knows what a Chinese chicken salad is. Yeah, and I think it, it also comes from this kind of comfort level, too. You know, I think that, like, there's certain really kind of safer things, and you have to kind of ease into it. Some people are very weird about food. They're not very adventurous, and they don't want to try new things, and especially there's, like, a lot of buyer's remorse for people. What They're nervous about ordering something they don't like or anything like that. And so I think that when you said that— Those people should stay home. Stay I mean, home. But— Stay home or just go to Gus's Fried Chicken. It's the same every time. <laughs> but, then, but then for us, it's like, as a business— we're like, well, let's let's give them something that's a little bit like, you know, we still have a fried rice on our menu that's just, I mean, if you want a chicken fried rice at Wu Chow, you can. There's a lot of better things, you know. But if that's what you're used to eating, then let's, let's do it. There might know. be better things, but sometimes not. Like sometimes that's what you want. That's what you want. Yeah. Right. So, so I don't judge. Just a nice just, fried rice, right. a little bit of egg, a little bit of whatever. But Chinese fried rice for us, for the culture, it is a leftover dish. Oh, definition. so it's like you take some of the food that's left over, you fry it up. Right, because the trick to good fried rice at home is day-old rice. Oh. You have to use day-old rice. We cook rice and then put it back in the fridge for the next day to cook our fried rice because you want it to dry out so then when you cook it with all this extra moisture and oil and soy sauce and everything like that, it plumps back up to normal, not mushy the next mm, day. So, that makes sense. So it really is. So, so the intention is I've got all these little scraps and bits and leftover little bits of the barbecue that we did or this little chicken dish that we had and we have add an egg in there and have some old rice that we had from the night before, cook it up again and then it's like a casserole. It's like a it's like a leftover dish. When you did Wu Chow, what, one of the things that I, I really like about it is that you have small dishes so you order a ton of them. That's right. You know, I, I like that because you get a, a gang of different flavors at your place. That's what, right. what made you go that in that direction? I mean, that is the culture. In Chinese, the, when you say eat, in reality, the, the words that you literally say, which means to like, eat rice. So in Chinese culture, you, the food all hits the middle of the table and we each have our bowl of rice. And the intention is to just grab a little bit of this and eat it with the rice and a little bit of this, eat it with the rice. And that's kind of the thing. So um, when you share all these different dishes, that's the intention. You always order six, seven different dishes. Like when we eat out as a family, it's like we just order a big table full of food and then we all have our own little rice bowl and we all just eat a little bit of everything. So that was a very pure level of cultural way that we culturally eat. It's more like it's... It actually makes no sense for you and I to go either you, me, and Jamie to go eat and say, "I'll get the you know I'll get the chicken and you know the the beef with broccoli, whatever it is," and then for you to say, "Oh, that sounds good. I'll have that also." You know that that philosophy doesn't exist in in in, in Chinese culture. It's like, what are we ordering for the table? Because we're all going to have rice. This is the dish that we want. If you, there's something that you want, order for the table. I'll have some too. Mm. And so for me, it was very important to kind of do that. Matter of fact, Swift's even has that philosophy. You know, I never liked that idea. I always, I'm the guy at the, when, if you and I were, we were all eating dinner and then you ordered the lamb chops and I was like, oh, I was going to get that. Well, I'll get something else because I would like, let me, let's trade. Let's, let's share some of this. I don't, you know, if I, that, that concept is very kind of Western as opposed to the kind of the Eastern way, which is, we all kind of, all hits the center of the table. I always found that so odd that if someone wants something and another person at the table orders it, that person won't order it now. <laughs> 
Yeah. Just fucking order it. Yeah. Like, do you want the lamb chops? Order the lamb chops. We'll both have it. Yeah, for me, it's just more of like, especially with new restaurants, older restaurants, sure, you eat what do you want, but with new restaurants, I'm like, I want to try seven things on the menu. I want to mm-hmm. try, I want to get a gamut of how this restaurant really is. And I can't obviously eat six different steaks, so if we all each, if the six of us all get a different steak and we all each get a little bit of it, and then at least we can all determine which one we really like at the end of the day. That might thing. be like the most American style of restaurant is a steakhouse. Yeah, big slab of meat. Yeah, the amount of meat that we eat in one sitting. Yeah, nobody. No, I don't think very many other countries. Do Unless that. like Argentina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a few yeah. Yeah. South Ranchers. American. Yeah, in Brazil, of course, they have the churrascarias, which yeah. is amazing. That's my one of my favorite ways to eat because if you want to get really full in fifteen minutes, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a rapid fire. Yeah, if you it's go to like Fogo de Chao, you yeah. just sit down with yeah. the, those cards. It's a green on one side and red yeah. on the other. Just keep coming, keep coming yeah. with the food. It's it's also an amazing value, right? Because it's all you can eat. For I think for people like us, yeah, you know, you take my sister there. She probably she probably doesn't eat forty eight dollars worth of steak. Right, that's true. We, we we probably go in there and make them lose some money. Right? They also have great salad bars too, right? But don't you feel a little? Do you feel a little guilty about filling up? I have no. an uncle. I have, a, I have an uncle that went to uh, that when he goes to buffets would just pick the most expensive thing. <laughs> and just eat nothing but that. Like if there was cocktail shrimp, he's like, I'm just going to eat two pounds of cocktail shrimp. Don't fill up on rice. Don't get rolls. Don't get any of this filler. Vegetables. Like why are we eating vegetables? Like we, I paid for it. I'm going to make them get my money's worth. It was form over function. Yeah. Function over form, sir. I think then you're you're a prisoner to your own frugality. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm there yeah. to enjoy food. Yeah. So for if, sure. if I'm going to the salad bar, I'm I'm looking for stuff that looks delicious. I'm yeah, looking for, for olives sure. and cheese and yeah. peppers. You know. Yeah. I'm and I mean, for- and that, and the, the the skill that they do with. The different, the picanha and the different, mm-hmm. st- and it's and it's rare that you get to do this Pepsi challenge with nine different cuts of meat. Right, right, right. You know, I think that the other, I was like, I love watching, you know, when you sit there and you're cooking this elk and you knock it out perfectly, but it's like, you are probably one of the few people that had the experience to sit there and when you have, you can taste different parts of the same animal, mm-hmm. and of literally that same animal. So yeah. you see that one animal, what the backstrap tastes like versus what the liver tastes like versus what the shank tastes like and stuff like that whereas when we're buying it from the store that came from six different cows probably and yeah and the, the the other part of it is you know for sure that you're dealing with a healthy animal right. you know, you're not you're not like you know some animals have abscesses and all sorts of weird yeah. problems and they you know cut that part out yeah and, you know who knows what's yeah. flowing through that animal's body yeah and we were talking about it earlier. I think that there is a level of respect that comes from that. I think there's a lot of people who are kind of in denial of the process of har- yeah. harvesting an animal. Yeah, we were talking before the podcast about some folks that get upset at your restaurant if you serve them a fish with the head on it, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. And you just don't want to come to, you don't want to look face to face with like the cruelty that is that we're hard, you know, that we are part of this top of the food chain rather than the bottom of it. There is nothing more cruel than the fucking ocean. <laughs> the ocean is the cruelest place yeah. in the world. It's just constant a, screaming. Yeah, it's just murder soup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a giant bowl of murder. They're just yeah. r- all running around eating each other. Not, like what? What percentage of ocean creatures eat other ocean creatures? It's based com- strictly on size, pretty much. Yeah. Right? It's like r- literally anything that's there, what is. There's a saying. There's always a bigger fish. Like there's like that. That, that is in the ocean. Like you just you you are you are completely in the food chain you're in a highway of food chain yeah it's just 
a wild place in that regard right. that most of those things are eating other things that are alive. Yeah. Like most of them. And we have to be, I think that that's even, again, even in our role as humans and stuff like that, that's, we should come to grips with that. No. I think and I think there's some respect to that. I think that there is something, that's why. I remember at Swift's, we used to get chickens from this uh, local farm kind of right outside of like San Antonio. And my chef came up, we came up with a, a, ch a fried chicken dish that really kind of took off. And I remember one time, it was sold so many, we had to order up in the middle of the week. We're like, hey, we need some more chickens, you know? And they're like, we're out. What do, you, what do you mean? Until when? It's like, until these chicks become chickens. We don't have any more chickens. It's a finite resource. And it's like the concept of like, it should be a finite resource. We shouldn't have an unlimited right. amount of chicken. Like you should run out of stuff. Like that's, that's the thing. I, do you know that there's a wing shortage right now? Have you noticed that? Is there? Yeah. There's a, apparently, I don't know the exact reasoning for it, but like Wingstop is now called, they have thigh stop because they're doing fried thighs now with. Why are there more thighs than there are wings? Well, how many wings do you sit down at a sitting? How many wings do you eat? And how many thighs would you eat? And it's just be the amount of people using it. Right. And so all of a sudden, at one, you know, a bird still has only two of each. Mm. But I can, when if I ate tw 20 wings in a sitting, I just decimate, I just had 10 birds worth of wings. And what have they been doing with the thighs all this time? Well, other fried chicken restaurants and whatever mm. it is. And so it was for whatever reason, there's this crazy wing shortage. It is kind of crazy that there's parts of the chicken that merit a whole restaurant. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like there's no chicken neck restaurants. Yeah, there should be. Chicken necks are dope. Chicken necks are good. <laughs> yeah. But there are chicken wing. But meanwhile, I got news for you. Thighs are better. Yeah. They're a lot meatier. More meat, juicy. Yeah. But there is a, there's something to be said about ratio. There's something to be said about the crisp to to whatever the ease yeah. of a handle and that's and true that kind of you know that there's there's a reason for it i don't necessarily you know it's uh i don't think that there's a better or worse i think that it's again it's just something that we just have grown accustomed to wings are also one of the rare things that are mostly spicy like right it's yeah. like one of the especially when it comes to american foods it's one of the rare foods that most of the time people get them spicy yeah like buffalo wings. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's one of the things I was talking about, how where um, I think that there is something to be said about when the, if you're the first person, which is rare to be, I think, in this day and age. It's like, you know how it's like really hard to invent stuff now, I right. feel like, because we've just invented so much. And so the idea, like there's, um, there's a Japanese dish called tsukemen which is a type of ramen. It's like a dipping ramen where you take the, you have the sauce, the broth over here, and then you actually dip the, the noodles separate from the broth and you eat it's almost like a french dip kind of hmm. process like a, it's like a mix between like soba noodles and, and ramen so is it like a, a noodle with no broth at all right and then you have a really concentrated ramen broth and then and you, you dip, dip it, it before in you eat and then you eat it uh -huh. and so you think about it when i had it being ignorant of the the invention of it uh, you know you think that wow this is was like soba noodles and people have been doing it for hundreds of years the dude that invented that dish is alive his shop is in japan right now like he's it's like in the 70s or something it's just weird that somebody could invent like if you just walked and met the guy who decided to sell chicken wings right. from the crown the, the anchor pub whatever the anchor pub well, in buffalo who is the guy that invented the buffalo wing there's a, a i think it's the the anchor pub is that what it is in buffalo I wonder how the fuck that came about. Because it's a very distinctive flavor. 
Yeah, like Frank's, buffalo Frank's sauce. Red Hot and butter. Yeah. yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. That's all Classically, it is? Classically, yeah. Frank's Red Hot and the butter. Yeah, 1964. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like within a lifetime. Like, you, you know? Yeah. It's just wild to think like, oh, yeah, I know the guy. He invented buffalo And then buffalo the wings. celery people got involved and said, listen, <laughs> yeah. there's a little place on the table for us. <laughs> yeah. I got my friends, the carrots. Come on. We got to pretend we're eating yeah. healthy here. Yes. Let me take right? take down 48 fried chickens and but it is a good combo right the celery and the carrots are, are nice with <laughs> the buffalo wing right yeah it, it works and it is an also an excuse to consume a lot of ranch and blue cheese you know it's blue cheese with wings or go fuck your mother do you know that i didn't know that but yeah okay, you gotta ask joey to diaz yeah, let me write that yeah. down he has a t-shirt <laughs> it's a famous joey diaz quote yeah he fucking classically hates ranch yeah i think but it's just you know to to Calm the spice down. I think at the end ranch. Of the day. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, but it's blue cheese balance. tastes better. I do. I agree. I'm a blue cheese guy. You don't think so? Jamie's well, from Ohio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those fucking Midwestern dairy. people, bro. What, but, does, ranch doesn't ranch have dairy? Ranch on everything. But ranch is dairy. What's those blue I, know, I know, I know, but it's like that's like it's like mold though. It's not like no. It's not good. Not. But it's not mold. It's delicious. How yeah. dare blue you? Blue cheese is mold. Son of a bitch. Listen to him. It stinks. What? Who are you? What have you done with Jamie? <laughs> but yeah, but that's it. But that's what we're talking about is that there's pure. There's, food is weird in that way. I think yeah. that people have, there's purists mm -hmm. out there that say this is, like I said, I don't care if you like it this way or not. Right. This is the way it's supposed to be. Right. There's people that get angry if you use a steak sauce. Yeah. Or people who like insist that, you know, hot dogs are not meant to be eaten with ketchup. Yeah. That's a weird one. Because hot dogs with ketchup on them are pretty fucking good. Like, I'm a classic guy. I like a dark, spicy mustard, and I like sauerkraut. Right. Those That combo yeah. with a real hot dog is pretty fucking good. But something wrong with a little ketchup on a hot dog. Tastes good. Then that's the, the judgment that comes is a very strange thing to me. Yeah. You know? But I, I'm one of those people that I, I try to experience it from both ways i was i want to say let me try it how you want to have it how you want to serve it and then once i've done that it's like then you know all no holds barred i can, then do, there's can do whatever you want there's right. the opposite contention thing the mustard on the hamburger a lot of people get upset at that really they do not like the mustard on the hamburger <laughs> comes an issue it's it is one of those things that i don't I mean, I think if you want to get deep with it, it's an interesting phenomenon that happens where, where what, like, don't, uh, the one of saying that people say, don't yuck my yum, right? I've never heard that one before, yeah, yeah, but don't, don't I'll yuck use my it. yum, <laughs> you know? And it's like, that's the thing. It's like, I don't understand that, right. that we do that a lot as a society. We, we yuck each other's yum in a very weird way, in a very consistent and broad way where you can go up to somebody and if somebody's wearing stripes and polka dots and you sit there and go, what are you doing? You know, mm. or whatever it is, and you're like, well, why does it matter to you? Yeah, like it's like you know, is it what Jay Z said? That's like what you eat don't make me shit. You know, and it's like I think that's R. Kelly. Is that R. Kelly? Yeah. What? Yeah. What they eat don't make us shit. Real talk. Maybe. I think it might be R. Kelly. Isn't it? Real talk. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. But but the idea is, <laughs> but that's the concept. It's like I don't understand that. Like you yeah. know, I, I think especially chefs and they get people get really offended by it. You right. know, you get a steak and you want to put ketchup on it. It's like yeah, you know, it's it, it, people take offense to it. I'm just like at the end of the I day, I take offense to that. If I cook steak at home, my kids want to use ketchup. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I just look at the sky. Yeah, 
look away, look yeah. away, let him do it, let him do it. It's to me, it's there is a concept. I do get a little bit perturbed if somebody orders a well done steak. Right? That's gross. Because to me, I'm like, you just don't like steak. I yeah. think. I think at the end of the day, like we get get a beef short rib, get a braised short rib that Some we cook for ten hours. Like that crispy outside though. But you could get that without cooking. I agree. Too dry. Listen, Jay Z, two thousand one. Oh, City. well, when was Real Talk? Uh, Real Talk, I think, was after that. So R. Kelly ripped off Jay Z. Well, yeah. When I Is Google it, there's here? lots of people saying it, but probably because Jay Z well, said it. Well, let's let's go to Google R. Kelly Real Talk. When did that come out? Because I that's where I know it. Well, from. He does say it in that. Right, two thousand seven. Oh, how dare <clears throat> R. Kelly? God, he just adds on to his yes, his crimes, his crimes <laughs> stole from Jay Z. <laughs> how dare he? Yeah, but you know, I think that it is that that kind of concept of at the restaurants and stuff. It's still at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I, I try to remember I'm in the hospitality industry. I'm there to right, make right, you comfortable. That's what you want. It is what you want. But there's some other combos that are interesting, right? Like uh, fish and chips. Has to have tartar sauce, but occasionally a little vinegar, malt vinegar. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's like yeah. very specific. That's a very specific narrow window and a very strange condiment because you don't sprinkle vinegar on very many things. On anything. I mean, oil and vinegar, maybe. Yeah, on salad. But yeah. some people like with fries. That's an English thing. That's they an like, English thing. Eng- they like. Well, it. they went to war over salt. Right. You know. Right. They it, still remember that shit. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like that's kind of one of those things. Like you know how good, like you know how like whack your food must be to add vinegar as the first, like your first choice, and it just makes it better. But yeah, I love, but, but fries with vinegar is pretty good. goddamn good. It's really good and, and unexpected. I would have so never done it. Is fish and chips? Yeah. Fish and chips with vinegar are pretty good. I love thinking about origin of food like that. Mm-hmm. I always think about the first person that fried something. Like we think about, and you might know, and like this, this is what I admire about you, the, uh, you've talked to so many people that you, you, you've like really have probably, you know, you have this wealth of, of experience. So like had to have been the first stuff before you started cooking, you had the harness fire, so you just, you probably dried stuff first, right? Just in the wind. Like yeah, they the, probably cut things thin and hung them from trees and just stuff, so they right? wouldn't spoil. Right? Like they do a lot of that in Mexico. Thing. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. a lot of the cultures that the longer range cultures. And then somehow we harness fire, and then we started roasting stuff. And then boiling had to come after that because you had to have some sort of vessel to boil water, right. which has got to be fundamentally crazy to think of how who who could do that. Right. And then somebody accidentally tried to boil something in a bunch of rendered beef fat or something. And realize it made shit crispy, and mm, right. How mind blowing must have that been? Like, imagine if you just lived your entire life and didn't have a French fry until you're forty something years old. Right, like, when was that invented? Like, boiling things in oil, and then battering them first, and then boiling them in oil to make a nice crispy outer layer. Right. Well, I mean, potatoes will get crispy without battering, and then right. somebody got really. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And started let's let's fry more stuff. Let's do yeah. let's throw other stuff in here. And see. Do you think potatoes were the first thing that people boiled? I don't know. I, I, like I've never in in an oil like that. You know, it's like, I, potatoes I, they I, boiled in water. I would think so, but I really think that I don't know if potatoes are difficult to. Again, if you really look at it, if you talk to somebody who who knows the 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 history of this kind of stuff, I don't know the 
the growth, the, the, the trajectory of, of agriculture as to, to when potatoes were even, you know, right. first grown. So I don't know, you know, who knows. Uh, but, but yeah, there's just stuff like that. Like the first person who accidentally made popcorn or something like that, you know, got well, real hot and then started walking out to a field after a fire and then found the whole field covered in. Well, wild tubers, people have been eating wild tubers for a long time, yeah. just roots. Right. Right. And then they figured out, well, these roots are like fat and juicy <laughs> or like carrots. You yeah. know, these are sweet and delicious. Would yeah. it be better to cook in oil than dirty water? Um, yeah. Yeah. Arguably. Because if they just had no clean source of water around, maybe yeah. they're just like, that's, maybe. what else can we cook stuff in? But yeah. that's probably why they started boiling water in the beginning. Realizing the that water people was were, dirty, yeah, people weren't dying as much. Yeah, after you well, I mean, the like little like mud and stuff would have been in there that it couldn't. Like, yeah, that you can't get filter. Out. Yeah, you yeah, can't like, filter it out. Not like parasites because they didn't know right. about those. Yeah, yeah. Like when did they figure out water filtration? Not just yeah. Recent, <laughs> yeah, recently. Yeah, recently. Years. Recently. I wonder. You know, Thursday. Because <laughs> now, now they got it down to a lot of guys that go camping. They'll bring these uh, water filter pumps. Yeah, and so they can pull up to a puddle. And pump through. Yeah. This well, they have that straw. There's that that pump. life straw mm-hmm. they're supposed to carry yeah. around that filter. It's it's amazing. Well, I mean, know it's even crazier. The UV wands. So you'll take like some water from a puddle like this, and you have a UV wand, and you just stir the UV light through the water for yeah. you know X amount of minutes, and it kills everything. The problem is, it still tastes like cow piss or whatever the fuck you're but actually you won't die drinking. From whatever but you won't is. die. Yeah. It's a survival thing. Yeah. It'll kill all the parasites. I mean, say what you will. I think that's one thing that this this whole last couple of years put in perspective is, like, we really, you know, we're living in a pretty magical time. Like, it's really still the best it's ever been. You know. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, even with the pandemic, look, when when you we think about how many people got really really sick during this pandemic and but survived through the magic of modern medicine, and then learned at the end of it, like, wow. How valuable is my health? I'm going to start doing something. I'm going to start walking every day. I'm going to start eating healthy. I mean, a lot of people went right back to eating bullshit. A lot of people people got real close to death and they were real scared and they went right back to being fucking sloppy. And it's sad, but a lot of people didn't. That's right. A lot of people just started recognizing, you know what? I am more robust if I'm thinner, if I'm healthier, if I'm eating good food, I'm taking in nutrients and vitamins, and I'm exercising on a regular basis, the quality of my life improves, I'm more resilient. And if something does happen, you bounce back far quicker. And if there's anything that we learned from this pandemic, it's that. It it increases your odds, at least. Oh, my God, by a giant leap. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of disputes about the numbers, but- at least at one point in time, it was 78% of the people who were in the ICU with COVID were obese. 78% is a big fucking number, man. And it's also like, I think that um, psychologically speaking, I think that also, I mean, it slowed us a lot down. I think I think there's mm-hmm. kind of, there's a lot of stuff that, that takes, you know, having a flat tire to, 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 to get some of these people off, pull off to the side of the road for a second. Yes. And, um, yes. Yeah. I remember- well, just me last week, you know, I was sick last week. Yeah, and the first couple of days, thank you. The first couple of days, all I thought about was like, okay, now I get a little break. Yeah, and then while I was having that little break, I was like, why do I live so crazy? You know, why do why am I so jamming so many lives into one life? Mm -hmm. You know, because it's kind of what I'm doing. I'm kind of jamming like multiple lives into a single life. Yeah, and it seems like that's the only way I'm 
legitimately satisfied, which is very odd. And I think it's part and parcel with your success, though. I think that you talk about the, the, the wherewithal to do that is also the wherewithal for you to do what you do. You know, I've got, I have a lot of friends of mine that have come up to me over the years and have talked to me and asked, wanted advice about opening up their own bar or whatever like that. But these guys also still sleep till three o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, <laughs> I've had 10 meetings already. You know, yeah. I mean? like, what are you, like, you're never going to do, if you don't live that kind of, if you don't have that drive, then, I mean, I don't know how to get that for somebody. It's just like the opposite is true for fitness for other people. Like why the people that get up at five o'clock in the morning, you get a workout in like yourself. And, and I'm just like, if I don't have, like, I can't complain about not being in this tip-top shape if I don't have the wherewithal for me to kind of do that kind of stuff, to devote to that kind of thing. There's a very clear and easy method for developing that, though. You can do it, and this is the way you do it. You write it write down. Write everything down. Just write it down. Yeah. It seems so simple, Yeah. but if you just, and you don't need a lot, you just say 30 minutes of cardio. Just just write down 30 minutes of cardio at 9 a.m. or whatever, you know, depending upon obviously what time you have to work. You know, 7 a.m., whatever it is. So get up, do 30 minutes of cardio, and then you check that off the list. And you feel different once you've done that. And, but a lot of it is, is priority, you know? I think it, yeah. you, just have to, you, just have to, you just have to value that. Right, but you know? I'm telling you, the, the no, it's physical huge. act of yeah. writing something down and then checking yeah. it off the list is huge. Yeah. I, I don't have to do that anymore for most things. It becomes a habit. 30 days yeah. or whatever, right, to develop yeah. a habit. Cause yeah, because it's a, it's a rock-solid habit with me now. But it's helped me in the past tremendously, especially when... There's a lot of things on that list, yeah. and I know I got to get those things done. But I could just fuck off and watch YouTube for an hour, and yeah. then I'll miss, you know, two or three of those things that I'm supposed to be doing. But I think it's like, but like again, slowing down, making that a priority in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what actually ultimately I don't. It's like we didn't know each other too much, but I've lost about sixty something pounds over this pandemic, right? And. A lot of it started from me realizing that the I work too much, I don't have time to work out was all bullshit. Because when I didn't have anything to do, I still wasn't. <laughs> you know? It was like yeah. I woke up and I was like, I didn't do anything today. I'm mm. still not doing anything. And Did then, you get a trainer? No. Uh, what ended up happening was I was starting to do conference calls. I was on conference calls for three hours a day. Uh, so I just put on earbuds and I started just roaming the neighborhood. And I found, oh. out, I found out that I was walking six miles a day. Oh, that's great. Just roaming the neighborhood. A friend of mine texted me yesterday and she said, um, I need to get a, uh, a treadmill because, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm gaining all this queso weight since I moved to Texas. And, and I said, well, Go around Ladybird Lake. It's beautiful. It's fucking beautiful. Just yeah. and all these other people are running too. For me, it was that was the 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 conference call actually distracted me enough to not feel so monotonous. Mm -hmm. I think a treadmill yeah. is what I couldn't do was because right. I felt right. like a hamster. Well, but you can watch movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, but anything that's like the the, the the your mind, the different ways that people's mind works. Mm -hmm. Like for me. That was it. It was like the vitamin and the bologna for me. It was like this trick. Right. I had to do this. And then I literally woke up and I was like, where am I? Because I'd be focused on this call. And I realized I walked two and a half miles in one direction. And then I was like, well, I got to walk two and a half miles back. And so now my conference call is over. So then I'd call another friend. I'd yeah. call somebody else. Yeah. And then I would just chat, nice. chat with them on that walk. But again, I never took enough. I mean, it still took a couple hours. But I never took two hours to, to go on a walk. Right, but you doubled 
you like multitasked. Double, yeah, doubled yeah, down. And got it down to that's the point. And, so, and walking is so good for you too. Like yeah. people think that you have to do something like incredibly rigorous to benefit your health, but you really don't. Like just plain old left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, keep going. Real good for you. And then cooking, cooking did a lot of it too. Because because yeah. a couple things is number one, I don't know about you, but for me, I eat less when I cook the entire thing myself whether it's the work that it took into it or tasting it or looking at it all. Like when I go to a restaurant, I'll overeat. But at home, after I cook my entire meal or whatever, I, the tendency is for me to eat less. It's just very... It's, That's interesting. I wonder very, why. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it might be a, a restaurant thing, maybe because I do it for a living. It's like, don't get high on your own supply type thing. I don't know, ah. I don't know what it is, but it's just when I host people, when I serve, if you ever come to my house and I'll cook for 30 people or whatever it is... Um, the tendencies for me, I, I might not even fix myself a plate after cooking for two and a half hours. I was like, I don't even want to look at it anymore. It's like I just, I'm happy to serve everybody and be done with it. One thing I started doing differently over the pandemic is I started cooking over live wood, over mm -hmm. hardwood. That was a, a new thing that I started doing because uh, I just was like, let me try this. Let me see what this is. I got awesome. one of those Argentine grills. <laughs> yeah, a company the called and lowers. Suntera. Yeah. Suntera. And it's like, it's got two levels. One on each side, yeah. so you could. Is that where you cook all your one. elk and stuff? Oh. Yeah, well, most of the time I use a Traeger. Right. Most of the time I use a pellet grill, and then I'll either sear it at the end in um, uh, a cast iron pan, right. or I'll do it on on that grill. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, your 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 temperature controls is. I got is, it down. Is, is, it's down for sure, and it's hard because it's so lean. Yeah. What you're doing is very difficult. It's like you're you're cheating when you do like a ribeye beef with all this fat in it. It's like, right. It's a little easier. It's a little yeah. easier. But when you're but, cooking like nil guy, it's like. Yeah, nil guy's a good example, right? The the whole key is a meat thermometer. I mean, you can yeah. do it by feel. Yeah. Don't be proud. Don't yeah. be a hero. Yeah, just don't measure. be a hero. Just, yeah, you, just this, get this, in there. This, this bullshit, you know. Yeah. Like, stop. Well, you can so, do that. I think that's better with steak. With with a with a ribeye, I think you get a better understanding of it. But that really lean meat, like your fuck up error, <laughs> yeah. the, the, and the know, resting the room, time, yeah, yeah the, the room the, the for carryover. fuck up is very yeah. small. What I like to do is I cook a lot of it, and then that's what I'll eat for the next few days because I'm always so busy. What I'll do is I'll get my morning workout in, and then I'll have cold elk with hot sauce. Huh. That's what I like. I like like okay. ha habanero sauce, and I dip it in the habanero sauce, and I eat cold elk. I got a, a friend of mine just started a hot sauce thing over the pandemic too. Oh yeah, I gotta give you give you some of the samples. Okay, stuff. yeah, it's real good stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think that I think that there's an interesting thing that happens. I think when I think there was a um, there's this kind of misconception I think of busyness being better and more successful right. and sort of stuff. And I think that I think there is a there's something also equally, and, and again, every the the beauty is in the balance. I think that there's sedentary that's damaging. Also, mm -hmm. we're not trying to say that we should, and but there's also something damaging about about bur burning yourself out. Yeah, that's not good. I'm gonna give a shout out to this hot sauce that I've been into lately. Oh my sure. goodness, I've been um, there's a I I have a, a taste for hot sauce that Yellow is I like it strong. And there's this this company, Senor Lechuga Hot Sauce. It's Mr. A, Lettuce. S C N O R L E C H U G A Hot Sauce on huh. Instagram. Would and they you make ever do it, hot They ones? make it with Reapers, with Carolina Reapers. So it's got a real kick. <laughs> 
But do you? I mean, so you do you like the the endorphin rush from the pain? I love it. <laughs> would you Would you do the hot wing show? No, I think it's a dumb way to have a conversation. I don't understand so, it. I don't. I don't. I think, I think the understanding is the uncomfortableness of it. I think that I think that because I remember watching. I I like the show, I, and I think I what I liked about it early on, especially. I think now people power through it, but mm-hmm. I think seeing people in duress try to answer questions. I think that there's something about it that has a little bit of a. Mm, yeah, it's like I guess. I mean, I guess in a way, it'd be like talking to somebody while you're drowning. Like if you if you're like to, like make somebody tread water and having a conversation with them while they do it or something. It's I weird. like conversations, like right. a real conversation where people are comfortable, and I want them to explore right. their ideas. I don't want them to be distracted. Copy. You know, it's it's to me, it's a gimmick, and it's not that it's oh, a it's bad show. A it's a good show. It's really, and he does a great job. It's not not a knock yeah. on the show. So I'm not interested. Yeah. I can feel it. I like conversations. When when I and talk you to enjoy someone, the food, enjoy the food. Yeah, like, compartmentalize that. I want people to be comfortable when I talk to them, yeah. and I want them to explore these ideas. And I don't want a, like a band playing behind them and fucking a tuba in their ear. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh-huh. And I don't want uh-huh. their uh-huh. mouth uh-huh. to be on fire when they're talking about their childhood. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, it's I like do. it's not that I it's do. a bad idea. It's a it's a great idea for a show, and it's obviously yeah. very successful. And he does yeah. a great job. It's not. It is definitely it's not a knock it's def- on. It is definitely a, a bit of a. It's a gimmick. That's a, yeah. It's I'm a, not interested. Yeah, that's the shit right there. Senor Lechuga. Oh look, he's got my fucking endorsement. That's so hot. That one's uh, habanero onions and reapers. Yeah, but he's you know you're in trouble when the batch. habanero is the, the is the light. Yeah, spice on that. It's got oh. Fucking kick! But but there's some there's uh, I'll tell you we um, at Wuchai we do a lot of Sichuan food right, mm. which is very spicy. Yes, uh, but there is a skill to that too because you also want it to have flavor. Right, right. So to figure out that balance, like a good jerk seasoning or something like that, mm-hmm. it's like man, you want to be able to taste the pimento and taste the smoke and taste the. You can't yeah. just just light people up for no reason. It's like there's got to be some depth to it, and I like that layers of that kind of stuff. You it's know? hot sauce is also and spice and kick is also very subjective. Yes, there's like my wife can't take any of it. She's not a hot sauce person like at all. Bell pepper spicy to them. But my children, like they're split down the middle. Yeah. Like my youngest will fuck up some hot sauce. Like sometimes I'll like she she tried the Reaper sauce. She likes the Reaper sauce. I'm like, wow, eleven. And I she's can, getting after it with the Reaper sauce. I can take certain types of I realize that culturally different spices. Like I can take the southwestern, these type of smoky type hot jalapeno hot mm-hmm. more than I can take like Thai oh, and interesting. And Asian spice. Like that Thai bird, that type of sharp like that kind of sauce, that oh. the slow burn sauce, I can deal with. But the kind of the stuff that like I feel like is stabbing me in the throat. Like, I like I it know. all. It's awesome. Good oh, to know. I love man. it all. Yeah, I love it I'll, all. I'll, I'll but I really some. love Mexican spice. Yeah. I love a, a hot, spicy carne asada taco. Yeah. Woo! With a lot yeah, of kick. For sure. If I had like one food, it might be Mexican. Like if I really had to choose like one food for because there's some like Mexican comfort food. Like tacos and burritos and quesadillas. Like there's something about Mexican with the spices and the use of the cheeses and the goddamn they make some good food. I think all comfort foods to me is my way to go. Uh, I think every culture is comfort food. I, 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 food gives me a lot of comfort. Mm. Um, and so I think that there's something for me that you can taste that. Like my grandmother never made chicken noodle soup for me growing up. Obviously old old Chinese woman. But it comforts me. Mm. 
I don't know if it's watching cartoons. Chicken noodle soup is just a fantastic array of flavors, though. Yeah, you with know? thyme and peppercorn. Did that. you ever go to Jerry's Famous Deli in uh, California? Mm-mm. Man, a lot of them went under now during the pandemic. And even before the pandemic, I think some of them, there was one in Woodland Hills I used to go to. Coming home from the comedy store all the time, I would get a, a pastrami Reuben and a bowl of chicken noodle soup. My God, I would look forward to that. Yeah. It was so, there's something about a really well done chicken noodle soup with a little pepper and a little Tabasco in it. Oh. And I think that that's what it is. I think that universally speaking, there's something with like there's... Especially foods, I think that take time. Mm-hmm. That that there is some comfort there, and and it's just something like that. It's it's marination or barbecuing or slow roasting mm-hmm. or whatever it is. There's the, that that's like there's a the idea of fast food out of convenience, but that's not. It's weirdly, you know, I don't think it's as comforting. Now, some people might argue and sit there and say McDonald's is comforting as hell because, but I think that's the nostalgic stuff that talks to you about is saying grow up and it goes back to somewhere in your brain that brings you up to making you feel like a kid again but or it might be just the sugar but it's like but at the end of the day i think that when you have a culture that makes a soup that takes eight hours and or spaghetti sauce or a, a, a some sort of roast that took all day or mm-hmm. you know a pit pig roasted something that took all day that translates into a comfort those flavors really kind of pinpoint something i think yeah there's probably something also where you're aware of the effort that's involved in creating a dish like that yeah i think that, so it gives I, you I, but i know a lot of people that are food for fuel you know and i, I no no knock to them but I, I like i said i don't understand that like to me it's yeah like, those are you know physical freaks those people that are just like really into fitness no I, I know a lot of people breasts. who are who are un who are unhealthy but still have this mindset that is like i just need to eat so really? I don't care. It doesn't. They don't enjoy the food. It's like they do, but not really. Not do like. Do you wonder what they taste? Yes, that's exactly the concept. That's what is one of the philosophical things that always blows my mind. Is like the idea of like I wonder, like just like you can't. I can't tell what color you're seeing. Right. So. Or like people who are really into fish. I mean the band. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what are you hearing? <laughs> so you, you, know you hear mean? something different than me, right? Like, right. and I feel that way about like spicy food too. Like, I wonder. Yeah. I want like spicy food to yeah. me is exciting. I mean, perfect example is I think it blew my mind when somebody told me that cilantro tastes different to soup. Yes, great there's a example. scientific yeah. difference. It tastes like soap to some folks. Some folks, yeah. and I'm like, yeah. If I had a mouthful of dial soap, I, I right. probably wouldn't want to eat it. Yeah, but, you know. But that's like, a, that's a great example. So how do I know that mustard doesn't taste like that to you? Right. Or it's clear that whatever. it does. It's it's with everything in life. With with fashion, with the style of cars that people like. Like what right. are you seeing when you see a yellow car? I see a car that somebody should have painted a different color. You're right. But some people are like, oh, oh look at that. Yeah. Look at that mustard colored yeah. car. Yeah. For sure, maybe they really like mustard, but, but it's it, but, weird. But yeah, it is, and then but that goes back to this whole thing also the, of the self, whatever you enjoy, what makes you happy. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird that um, that we have such an aversion towards what makes other people happy. We do. I well, think we are cowards, and we want people to like only what we like. Right. Or we want more of what we like. And, yeah. if, and there's a lot of people who think that. I think I think there's a lot of people that think that happiness is finite. That yeah. like if you get too much, like you're taking it from me. Like that you're taking more than your share. 
almost. Like I feel like when you wake up one day and you see somebody happy, and if you're not happy, you like you almost feel like oh, this person's hogging all the happy. Really? It's, I think there's people who live that way. Otherwise, how do you wake up and see somebody happy and then realize like, you know what? Because you're a I don't cunt. Like... <laughs> yeah, maybe, so... <laughs> yeah, maybe. But like, just... what is that? Where's that from? Where's that just come from? Bitter, unhappy people that don't realize that part of the reason that they're unhappy is their attitude. Yeah. You know, your attitude can dictate a lot. It's like, because it's literally the way you set up your interactions. Yeah. Like the way you think about things. And for some people, they're just selfish and they don't want other people to be happy. And I think that we talk about it also, we, we, we touched on it offline too, is that we, without this interaction of social media, like you and I sitting down and having a conversation right now, like I can see your reactions. And so yeah. much of that communication is that way. Yeah. But after this is done, there's going to be a lot of people that just lob comments at us that we don't yeah. know. We don't look at their face. They don't see us reading right. it or if we read it or not. They don't care. I saw that with – so when when I got sick in January with Dave and all them and the amount of people, this comments that we were getting, I had to turn off, I had to turn off my comments just because my phone was like draining from battery. I don't even know how you live, how people in, at, at your level of, you know, of uh, – you know, reach, live when you have the 12 million comments or whatever it is. But it's just kind of like this, these, I was like, these are real humans on earth. Unless you think that they're bots, unless they're really like robots out there just making weird ass comments. But there's somebody out there who took their phone and took a moment, saw something and decided to just say something, some hateful shit. Yeah. And it's like, they would never say that to somebody in their, to their face. No, they wouldn't. But it's a, it's a terrible way to communicate. It's just, it's not human. It's not a human way. And right. it's also the idea that you actually can reach another human with these callous thoughts. Like you see a sick person and go, fuck him, fuck all of them, I hope they die. Like yeah. they don't even mean that. Right. Like most of the time when people are saying that, they're just talking. They're just right. carelessly talking and they're just doing it in a public forum. But it's your choice as to whether or not you interact with that and read it. Right. And I just, uh, it's made my life infinitely better by not reading it. Occasionally things get through to me, like uh, someone will tell me about like, you know, CNN lying about me or something like that. I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. I have to look at it. I'm like, that's hilarious. That's a skill. But I don't, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a discipline. Like I've developed yeah, a discipline and that discipline is to treat people as nicely as possible, interact with people in as pleasant a way as possible, as friendly a way as possible, work at it. Like, it's a thing that I work at. I, I, I put effort to be nice to people. And then I'm not taking in any of that negative shit. I'm not, I'm not reading right. from people that I don't know, reading from a bunch of sloppy, lazy thinkers who are just shitty online. Right. There's so many of those people. And there's so, so many people that are addicted to other people's reactions online. Right. I express myself so often because of the podcast and I've, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the amount of feedback that comes my way. So I don't have any desire to express myself in any extra ways. Right. But there's a lot of people out there that are just addicted to likes and comments and interacting with people in this weird sort of right. shallow peripheral way, this surface way. It's, it's, a, it's a very unhealthy way of spending m m your time interacting with people. And occasionally it bleeds off into real life and you're yeah. seeing, you see people 
treat people and talk to people in real life the way they do online and it's rude and it's awful and you see it and it's just like it's jarring it's yeah like, I, I was saying out, out, as people went back out in the public after being locked down for a little bit I, I mean people have gone feral as some of some of these <laughs> some people have really kind of yeah I mean that where people are already having difficulty communicating and then and then forcing that kind of isolation for a little bit coming out it it is it is very it's difficult you know I mean I, I'll say 100% like even when you know, and you asked me to come talk and and it was like you know, I've got, I was like, what are we going to talk about? Imposter syndrome? Like, I feel like, what am I doing here? You know, there's a part of me that sits there that says, like, you know, what what do I have to contribute? Because, you know, for me, it's, there is a humility that comes from, you know, that 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 I think that a lot of people just don't have because this people have given everybody a voice. Everyone has this voice. If mm-hmm. you're allowed to just yeah. express yourself, and it's very equal, like, say what you will, but everyone is hoping for some level of, of recognition, yeah. especially someone like yourself that has a platform. So someone's, if I message something jarring enough, then maybe a, a bunch of people will see it also. I think that there's something there about saying that. It's like this kind of remora type level of right, but what I parasitic. What I like in talking to a person like yourself is that you're a person that hasn't sought out attention. You're just an artist who makes food. You know, you just make restaurants and you, you serve people and you give them a great culinary experience and a great environment. That's what I like. I, I like that, that you're just an artist and that I like to talk to people that make great food. Chefs are some of my favorite people to talk to. Really I, are. I love, for me, it's even more, it goes further, I think, than that is I really like taking care of people. Yeah, no, I know yeah. you do. Well, that was the thing that I got out of you bringing all this different food when we would do the shows at Stubbs. Like you would, like what is CK brought today? And right. like you, you, it was all kinds of different food that you would bring by. Right, and it's just one. But you even brought plant-based burgers once. Just yeah, I forgive you for that. Right. Well, I had, it was in addition to regular burgers. Okay. <laughs> I tried them. Yeah. I was like, what is this nonsense? But it's but how it, many vegetables had to die for this? <laughs> You're eating the. Food's food. <laughs> You're eating the food of the food. It's like people keep saying, oh, you can't taste the difference. Well, go to a doctor. Yeah. Go to a doctor if you yeah. can't taste the difference. And that's also the thing is that's, that's, that is the conversation that says that just in, like you can lean into – I don't like apologetic food. Like I don't like to sit there and say, why, why make it taste the same? Right. Just enjoy a vegetable. Exactly. Like if you want to eat vegetarian and just eat vegetables, there's some delicious dishes. Like I love Indian food. There was a vegetarian Indian food that I used to go to in California that was near my house that was amazing. It was this yeah. this place that had all these like amazing flavors and yeah. curries and all this spice and, and it was all vegetarian. Right. It was great. But it, they weren't pretending it was chicken That's or right. fake beef or anything yeah. stupid. It was just traditional vegetarian Indian yeah. cuisine, and it was really good. I would seek it out. I would go there all the time. I uh, I, I really enjoy that aspect of restaurants and stuff too. Is the the, the people who are very who just really love it. Yeah, I think that's a big difference. I think there's a difference between somebody leaning into a trend to make money mm-hmm. versus somebody who has something to say. I, I think that restaurants to me that was that was the hard part about this. Like, I'll give you an example the root of hospitality, the people who are the best at it. Like we, I think we all have this need to serve and, and, to, and to take care of people. Like when the big freeze happened, mm-hmm. um, 
even Zoom back before that, right when we all shut down in March, um, a lot of us got together. We're all panicking, texting each other. He was saying, "What are we going to do? When are we going to reopen again?" Like how all you know, all of us. We had a, we had a Zoom call with fifty restaurant owners that were like, are, "Are we done? Are we dead in the water?" Kind of thing. Right. But then one of the conversations was at the end of that meeting was, "What are we going to do with thousands of dollars of product that we're just going to go to going to go to waste?" And so, a lot of it we just like well. We're going to send it home with a lot of our employees that lost their job. We're going to cook up a bunch of it to anybody who lost their job in the community to come and get free, come get the food from us so we don't go to waste. We'll go send it out and send it out into the community and feed our, feed our community. I think the best of us all openly did that, seeing major restaurants to the food trucks. We all did the same thing. I think it also made people aware that food is a finite resource and then we are vulnerable. We don't feel like we're vulnerable because you can just go to this place and buy that food or that place and yeah. buy that food. But at the end of the day, like, th there's no guarantees here. And if you want to, yeah. we have to go back to hunting and gathering. Like, this a is. A lot of people can be in a bad way. This is dangerous. But I'll tell you the one thing that also I think put in perspective a lot of people is I hope is I had a couple friends of mine that were panicking about and then would look in their pantry or whatever. It's like, I don't know what. I'm like, you have nine months worth of food. Like, you, you, you're not Probably, gonna, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, was, that was a thing where it's like, why are these people scrambling? Because we're just so used. And again, this is conversation of uh, we are living in a great time for a lot of people. I mean, if you just zoom back a little bit, like I get individually, we all have our issues. But it's like, man, we are living in a time of abundance, mm -hmm. you know? Like when, yeah. when this first thing went down, first thing I just, I opened up to my, cabard, uh, my cabinet and I was like, all right, I've got a 25 pound bag of rice. That'll last a while. I'm good. I'm not going to starve. Right. I might not be happy, but I, I, I'll eat this forever uh, for for months. I was keeping an eye on the deer in my neighborhood. <laughs> Ordinarily, they're beautiful. I like yeah. looking at them. Like, hey guys, you how you one? doing? Yeah. Hey. But I was like, hmm, let me pay attention to which way you travel. <laughs> yeah, some squirrels. I might have to whack you. But yeah, that's the. But that is that's the level I think of. I hope that people are starting to realize that too. You know, it's mm -hmm. weird. And, and and I think that that stressed people out a little bit, you know, when we were out of toilet paper, like people are like, what in the world? And it's like, well, right. it is weird to be out of something. It's weird for us to show up to a store and something to be out of it because we're just used to be able to getting anything. We're used to getting tomatoes 12 months a year. When the tomatoes don't grow 12 months a year. You know, it's interesting if you, you stop and think about how many people rely on fast food for a large percentage of their meals, if that was eliminated. If you cut out all the Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and Jack in the Box and all that stuff, if like that was off the menu, like I wonder how different people's lives would be and how differently they would think about food. Because for so many people, hungry means I'm going to pull into this drive through and yep. I'm going to order and then in five minutes, I'm going to be eating a sandwich. That's right. So if that wasn't available and you had to really think about food in terms of nourishment and then preparation and like if there was no fast food imagine if there's a food supply it's not a problem but there's no more restaurants right like everyone has to cook their own food people are like what yeah like how many people rely on other folks to cook their food for a, whether it's fast food or restaurants a large percentage of their meals yeah and i think that there's also something to be said about the 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 care of cooking yourself, the 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 sitting around a table, mm -hmm. sharing a meal mm -hmm. with something. That, yeah. that these are these are things that I valued a lot. Uh, having a restaurant was recognizing that aspect because yeah. 
we, our family celebrated, we mourned, we, you know, had difficult conversations around food. It was all, that, that was, that was the thing around the, around some food. And so you people come into town, we'd bring them, it's always about food. Everything is about food. And so that was, that was my upbringing. And so I recognized that. I remember one of the crowning moments in my, like happy moments in my restaurant career was I remember this family brought in their son for freshman orientation. And then four years later, brought him in for the graduation dinner. Oh. Like I remember watching this kid, like, oh my God, has it been four years? Wow. You graduated. Like, holy shit. Like, yeah. And then the honor for me to sit there and say that you that you chose to come back. And he said this is one of his favorite restaurants. He wanted to kind of bookend his experience here in Austin. And it was really something that really touched me in that way, you know, more so than the kind of person who has a million dollars in their bank and just can eat wherever they want and just spend money. It's like, no, it's like this person really enjoyed what we're doing. It's got to be cool when you're there on like a busy Saturday night and you're looking out at this restaurant, all these people having a great time, and you are providing them meals. It's, I say it's the, probably the closest, and I think that's why I relate to entertainers, musicians, uh, because I think the same thing when uh, everyone's laughing at something that you said or singing along to the music that you wrote. You know, mm-hmm. like, and, and that's one of the things I think I related because I think the creative process to doing all that other stuff um, is very similar to cooking. You know, I think that the reason why I relate to musicians in that way also is to the recognition of being able to kind of pull from this database of knowledge of what this is supposed to sound like and that and realizing that these three things sound good together, these three things taste together. Uh, mm. I, I had a conversation before where watching, I had a a chance to watch one of my friends who's a producer, produce a track, and he was like playing this track, and then he all of a sudden was like, oh, and he reached in his bag and got a a flash drive and put it in and pulled this sound, this little sound, whatever it is, and put it in there and slowed it down and blah, 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 and threw it in there. And then the epiphany moment was when we were doing testing at the menu, and then we were cooking something, and we were tasting it, and then he's like, lemons, we need lemon zest. Right, not lemon juice, not lemon segments, not lime. This he just been able to pull from this palette out of the ether and said that this dish would be good with some lemon zest in it. And and that the best chefs are able to do that. If you watch like Master Chef and these amazing chefs, when they're blind tasting those sixty ingredients, and they can be like hoisin, sesame oil, pepper, white mm. pepper. Szechuan peppercorns. That's a habanero. Nope, that's serrano. It's greener. You know, whatever it is, and to be able to be able to have that on demand. You know, and, and again, every art, every entertainer has that palette. You as a comedian have that palette. You know what's funny and what's not funny. Whether you know scientifically why, but you know the timing of it all. And hanging out with people who do this for a living, I see the creative process, and it's so fascinating to me because I think if you go and watch a show. It sounds amazing that it feels like it's the first time you've ever said those words. But after you watch 10 in a row, I start to see like little nuances that you're like, well, this hit better when I said it this way. And mm-hmm. I emphasized this word instead of that word. And that kind of stuff was what made me come back day after day to watch it over and over again because I was like, man, this is fucking fascinating to, to see the psychology behind that. Or as working through jokes that might have started off when we're like, man, that, that joke didn't work, but by the end of it was like fucking. It's like a curing process in a lot of ways. Oh, it's awesome. There's, there's, 
there's this weird trial and error and then there's there's so many different variables that come into play like your your own attitude whether you approach a subject with bemusement or anger or or yeah. you know you're laughing at it or you're furious at it and it varies and it's just it and and it also there's this weird thing that happens with the crowd where you have to be completely connected to what you're talking about. Yeah. And if you're not, they know. Yeah, we have a we have and especially now I think we have a really in tune bullshit meter, you know. Yeah. And so when you're pandering, people can tell. Yeah, bu- the bullshit has never been more obvious. Right. But, but never been more prevalent. Yeah. You know? And yeah. and people this is the first time in my life that I can recall a general distrust of the news is the norm. You know, and and that's it's so funny you say that because we are talking we were talking the other day amongst our friends. We're saying a lot of this stems from a, a general distrust of everything, and I think a lot of it. I was like, if we really kind of pinpoint again, I'm simplifying things for sure. But um, the biggest problem I think we have right now is confirmation bias, mm-hmm. right? There's in, a lot of that in, in the world because it never education never was able to go backwards like this. It used to be. For every other every other generation, I think you got a bunch of data and then you drew a conclusion from that data. That's how you had to do it. Now we're able to draw a conclusion and then go search for data. Right, and then it's there's never people been like willing to lie to you because they're in the same tribe as you, right? And they want that confirmation bias to be cemented into your mind. And it is the hardest thing because it's like they do these psychological studies, like go outside and look for red cars, and you're gonna think that there's nothing but red cars on the street. I mean, you really, you have this opportunity to do that. And as technology has this access to it, to to be able to make something look very official and very real, it's very difficult to have that as opposed to, and this is why, again, someone like having this type of platform and you able to talk to anybody and everyone, I mean, it's really uncomfortable for a lot of people because you're just talking to people. And then it's like, well, why are you having this conversation with this person that doesn't, that I don't agree with? Right. And it's like, well, I had a conversation with the person that you do agree with yesterday and you didn't say shit about that person like why why are we or why are you not mad that we're spreading that person you know it's like it's kind of like this interesting thing when you have this platform that allows you to do that and i think a lot of people are very uncomfortable with that whereas something that i i think that is very it's very needed you know? it's very needed it's very needed and the people that are avoiding it they're just av- they're avoiding these uncomfortable moments where they might agree with someone that they have this uh, ideological rift with, you know, whether the person's on the right or the person's on the left, the person is a this or a that, or yeah. it's, it's dumb. It's a really dumb way to communicate. I'm curious as to why people think and believe things and the way they communicate yeah. and, and why they've lived their life a certain way and why, why, why they have these like very rock solid morals or ethics or why they don't. I'm curious. Yeah, I've but that's why I did this in the first place. This I, I've always been a person who's interested in talking to people, because I'm not exactly sure why I think the way I think sometimes. You know, yeah. and I, I want to hear the way other people think, and through that you learn a lot about yourself. 
Like some, and then you also pick up things that you admire about the way other people approach life, and you apply those to yourself, to your life, and to to the way that you interact with uh, other people and, and life itself. Yeah, I think anything that you practice, you get good at. Yeah, and I think that we're out of practice from that. I think that yeah. you get into these echo chambers very easily. Well, that's a real problem to, with social media. Yeah, you tend to gravitate yeah. towards people that agree with you. Yeah. Of course, you may, every, it feels good to have a bunch of people in the same room patting you on the back and telling you how smart you are or how good, how much we agree with each other. But, you know, I think that there was a, there's a real need to sit here and, and, and invite someone. I was that kind of person. I was the guy that when somebody came and knocked on my door to try to spread the whatever gospel there was at that moment, whatever religion or whatever it was, I was, come on in. Because I'm like you, you right. say you say you have the truth. I thought I was being told the truth in church every Sunday. So you got it. Sit down, and tell me what you got. You know, I was like fascinated. I mean, what drives you to come out in Houston, 110 degrees on a bike, right? To come spread this word, <laughs> like you really believe this, or so, they're just delusional, or whatever. That too, but I, yeah. either way, but it's, that's to me to sit there and say that I'm going to not listen to this person. The it's, difference it's, it's, is. That you're having that conversation one-on-one. What people get upset about is that I'm having that conversation and millions of people are listening. Right. And so that conversation could potentially influence millions of people to think differently than the way they think. The other thing is they think that other people are dumber than them. It's an arrogance. There's a real strong arrogance because they feel like if I'm talking to someone who believes that the earth is hollow and that aliens live inside of it and they're playing with our minds through fucking... (laughs) <laughs> radio waves or whatever that the the people that think that that's dangerous the reason why they think it's dangerous is not because it's dangerous to them they think it's nonsense they think it's dangerous because they think some people are gullible and stupid and those people are going to be easily influenced by mm. that mm. um and i, I just I, I find that to be uh, a, a very strange argument and it's a very arrogant argument because they're only looking at it in one way, and but there's that. But the, the problem with my even me saying this though is that there's real evidence that it is dangerous, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, 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 right. Like cap yeah. the Capitol riots, yes. right? January sixth, yes. These the fucking dumb. Have, have you seen that um, uh, HBO series, the uh, uh, Into the Storm? Yes. The Q- yeah, yeah. I just started. I just started. Oh, yes. What yes. episode are you on? Uh, no, I did literally like last week. Oh, but yeah, so you start yeah, yeah. just one. Okay, because yeah. I want to know who you think Q is. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll talk. I, by the end, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> um, but okay. that is a good example of a bunch of people that are kind of aimless and lost and fairly gullible and not very sophisticated in their ability to objectively analyze facts and data and just conversations and try to figure out what's real and what's not and also this real desire to be a part of this inside group of people that have some secret information and that this secret information will eventually change the world right and there's a weird desire that people have to be a part of that and they 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 get overwhelmed by it and it becomes their whole life and that's a big part of what that show is about a big part of that docuseries, which I really, really enjoyed, is psychology. It's about the psychology of hidden truths, the psychology yeah. of people trying to, you know, right the wrongs and, and trying to think that they're a part of something that's bigger than them. Right. You know, and most of those people, one of the things you'll notice in that documentary, 
for lack of a better term, and I'm not trying to be cruel, they're fucking losers. Most of the people that got really locked into this shit are losers, meaning they're social outcasts, they, they're not successful in their chosen field, they're not particularly interesting or disciplined or excellent in anything. So being a part of something larger than that makes them feel... Yes, makes them feel significant. significant. It also relevant. makes yeah, it makes them feel like they're they're a part of the winning team. Yeah. You know? It's the same mentality where people become like rabid sports fans. We know like whether they want to fight someone who is from an opposing team, you know, who who yeah. who roots for the other team. It's, it gets really yeah. like so sad at that if they lost because yeah. as if you do were on the field. Exactly. I remember when I was yeah. a kid, um the Red Sox lost the World Series and um What's the fucking dude's name who let the ball go through his legs? Bill Buckner. He let this ball go through his legs, and everybody freaked the fuck out. It was a normal error, but it was in the World Series, and mm-hmm. the Red Sox lost. And people were just walking down the street. They left their house. They couldn't fucking take it. They were just mm-hmm. walking down the street, shaking their head. Yeah. They couldn't fucking believe it. Couldn't fucking believe it. Like, it was so, it meant so much to them. And this was at a time in my life where I had completely abandoned baseball. I wasn't interested in it at all because I'd really gotten into martial arts. And so I used to be a baseball fan. And in fact, the way I found the Taekwondo school that I eventually joined was through a baseball game. I went to a baseball game at Fenway Park and then waiting for the T, which is the, you know, the transit system, waiting to get on the T, I wound up walking up the stairs and found this Taekwondo school. So I had this weird connection. So it was me, for me, it was like, like this changing of the way I looked at the world. Yeah. I'm looking at these people that are freaked out about a fucking guy who dropped a ball. Like, this is not your life. I think it points to also, again, how how good we kind of have it. That these type of, like, we haven't, again, on a, without saying, obviously people are going through some shit. But it's, it, when something like that can ruin your day... Right, you're doing pretty good in life. Right, you yeah. Know? Um, it, it, and or it might might be a little bit of the opposite, meaning hey, that's the only thing good in your life is that you have a team that's doing really well and you could establish. It. But, but you know, I remember, I remember right in the very beginning of all this, I was talking to my grandmother. She's 93. Uh, she's been through a, a war, you know, like you know, and and uh, and she was using this word. I you know, luckily I speak Chinese, but I, I speak like a like a child i don't i can't do poetry i don't know any floofy language so i speak fluently but not in that way and she was using this word over and over and over again and and and, and uh, i assumed it meant covid she's kept using it obviously this context clues told me it was about covid and then she said um so i asked my mother i was like what was this word that she keeps using and she texted it to me so i can google it it was the plague that she was using the word as the plague like we're going through the plague mm. and then I told her about it. I said, I never heard this word before. And this is her perspective. And it blew my mind when she said, she's like, I guess I should be very thankful that I raised my child, my grandson in a, in an age that he never had to learn the word for this, mm. you know? And it really made me think about, imagine your kids, kids one day, not knowing what racism, what that word is in a history mm. book. And like, what's this word that keeps popping up? 50 years ago, we were really stupid. We used to judge people by their pigment, 
And they're like, oh my God, really? And they're like, they had a whole word for it. We used to call it this way. People used to judge people on their race. And the idea that, that these type of concepts didn't, that, that we, we had to create a word for it because whatever. And, and, and it was fascinating for her to think about it that way because it's like, yeah, how, how I didn't have, I never knew this word. Mm. And so she's like, I should, you know, I should be thankful that you never had to learn it because we knew that word because we had to deal with a lot of shit like this overseas, you know, back in the day. Well, especially when she was a child, it was just a decade after the Spanish flu. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is yeah crazy. And then to think of the, again, the, 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 the non-scientific way, it must've felt like a plague. This would have been the plague. You know, it would have felt like that, just random, like without understanding it, you know, even though obviously during Spanish flu, actually people actually knew about it a little bit more. But it's still, it's like perspective wise, I think when people gravitate to these things, like you said, Q and searching for all this stuff, mm -hmm. we have a lot of time to to dwell on this stuff as opposed to when things were really, really tough and you were about to get eaten by wolves, right? you weren't concerned about what people were wearing or what shirt they were wearing or whatever well, it is what they're the doing. The problem is that I think those same sort of survival instincts and tribal instincts, they get hijacked by something like QAnon. Yeah. And then it becomes your identity. Yeah. That you're down with Q and you understand Q and they all these t-shirts say, the where we go one, we go all, and they get yeah. real wacky with it because it becomes... It becomes everything to them, but that th you see that in so many aspects of our society. You see it in people that are vaccinated versus unvaccinated. You see it in people that uh, support masks and lockdowns versus support freedom. You see it in people that are left wing versus right wing. People yeah. that care about climate change versus think people that think we have other problems that are bigger and we need tribalism. To yeah, it's it's. It, that, that sort of tribalism and, and the, the also the adopting of ideas instead of thinking them through, this, this predetermined pattern of behavior and thought that so many people just sort of adopt right. instead of thinking through themselves, form their own opinions, decide that these opinions are not you, they're just thoughts and ideas and don't identify with them. Don't yeah. don't make them your identity. There's there's something I remember reading a study about that was fascinating about talking about the changing of your opinion is akin to actual physical damage. Like there's like there's actual pain associated with it. There's some For some folks. Yeah. No, for for all of us. They're saying that there's depending on how the the trickle down effect of of saying of, of um of changing something that you identify with could mm. shatter your entire world. Like if yeah. you were, if you believed in, you know, like I, I've, I have to show it to you. I have to find the, find the article about it, but um, you know, I'm, I'm butchering the, 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 the science behind it, but it's along the lines of saying that if you really based off your identity off of a religious thought process, or let's say as a kid, it's like you believed in Santa Claus and then all of a sudden found out they were, you know, whatever I'm about to spoiler alert for the people who might be listening that don't know that yet. But, that concept is actual if they really kind of EK, you know, do a do a brainwave study. It's like it registers almost as pain, yeah. you know, because you have your whole everything that all the stuff below it or, or above it, however you want to say it, ha it was just shakes. It, it gets, sh you know, completely disrupted. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people aren't willing to do that. It's like this is why when you believe in this when you associate with this one thing or so this one team or this one person or this person just like why they say never met meet your heroes it's like why is it so crazy to to think that this human is flawed right but before you met them that that ruined your whole day and it's like why is that weird well it's because 
I'd rather have just lived my entire life thinking this person is amazing instead of finding out that they're just like me in that way. They're flawed. They're a flawed human, you know, and and it's an interesting thing, I think, now with this kind of stuff is like when you join these tribes, you join these kind of mentalities, it's like this being a part of this community, you know, this stuff, it just really helps people who are who are kind of, like you said, is lost. Well, I saw that a lot with gangs, you know, mm. like when we grew up, growing up, it's like, it's not, these aren't criminals, these people that didn't want to do that. It was, they when need you grew, family. They need family. You know, yeah. we grew up in the thing. It was very, very logical to me to see, like, I, I luckily, like I, even though I grew up single parent and everything like that, and my grandmother helped raise me, um, you know, I, I, I didn't go that direction. But I could see because if I was going through some shit and this person over here said they would help me out, and watch my back. It's like that's how it starts. Yeah, it makes complete total makes complete sense. sense. Yeah, and when you think about the erosion of the family and how many people don't have that feeling of someone being completely committed to them, or a tribe that they completely belong to, and then something comes along, like a gang that not only are they completely committed to you, but they weren't willing to kill, and they're willing to, and, they, and the people that are different, the people that are opposed. They are the literal enemy, which is something that's hardwired into us from the real tribal days, from the days yeah. of, you know, when you were literally a small group of 150 people worried about being invaded by other people. And that was yeah. the reality of human existence for thousands and thousands yeah. of years. And I think our brain is very binary in that way, too. Mm. I think that that's I think that's what we talk about also in this tribe in this kind of organization the stuff that we're doing now is that it's very hard for us to kind of think in this gray which really exists it's like it's either pro or anti and in reality it's like most people kind of live in this middle right you know in reality you know it's like this kind of conversation about it are you pro this are you anti that it's like i'm neither of neither depending on the situation right you know it's it's like you're talking about it's like either either you hunt and you're pro killing every animal on earth or you, you have to be vegan or something like that it's this weird thing where we kind of polarize and we just naturally i think it's easier i think it's easier to just be you know galvanized into this kind of thing and put somebody into this little box as opposed to having to sit there and go all right well what's, where all where's all the nuance in all of this conversation and it is it is it's hard to to do that and i well, think that that's most people don't have the time yeah, well, that's we part of the problem. Right, we if, don't take the time because well, well, if you work all day, though, like say if yeah. you have some like labor-intensive job or some job that yeah. requires a lot of thinking, and you know you got eight hours a day plus commuting, the, the amount of time that you have left to sort through all the ideas that you would need yeah. to vet in order to have like a, a real nuanced perspective yeah. on life is very hard. Like I've had conversations with people. Regular folks, well, they'll say something, and I'll say, well, why do you think that? And like, well, that's just true. I go, well, tell me why you think it's true. And then you see this uncomfortable moment where they don't have any access to information at all. They don't even know. They just think that it's the right thing to say. Right. Like, hey, maybe it's good if we censor these people. Like, well, censorship has never been good historically, and here's why. And you, you have these conversations with them, and then you realize they never thought this th through at all. Right. They never thought through where this all goes. Right. They just have decided that if you say a certain thing, a certain group of people that they're friendly with or we'll familiar go, with, yes. you go yes, and that's what they want. They want yeah. that yes. Yeah. You bring up a good point on that, too, because I think that that's one of usually my big question is I don't 
necessarily care what you believe in. I just want you to know why you believe in it. I yes. want to know why you believe in it. Right. You know, because yeah. I, I have a right to disagree with you. Yeah. But at least I want to know that you have a reason behind that. It's hard for me to express. That. It's, <laughs> it's hard for me to um, uh, kind of respect this, like you said, piggybacking off of another idea because yeah. it makes you feel good or makes you feel better about it. You know, it is what it is. But I, I just want to I want you to know why you feel that way. So then I can look at you eye to eye and sit there and go, hey, agree to disagree. But I think we could develop a way of doing this where what becomes attractive, the tribe that you're on is tribe open minded conversation. Right. And then just that should be a tribe. And we should reject people that have these dogmatic, ideological perspectives that aren't thought through. And just reject that kind of thinking from yourself, reject that kind of thinking from other people, and be able to recognize it. Re recognize it and sort of call it out. Yeah, I think that there's also this moment where you got to stop trying to convince people to come to your side. Right, right, right. I think that's the big thing. I think ultimately when you have this conversation with somebody and somebody says something, an opinion, mm -hmm. and that you have this drive inside you to tell them that they're wrong, yeah. to convince them that they're right. I mean, I think you and I are in, in alike in that way where I'm curious as to why you believe this. Not necessarily because I need you to believe what I believe, right. but I recognize that you don't believe what I believe. So I'm curious as to why do you believe that? Man, you these know. people that are trying to get you to switch to Android, you know? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like, or <laughs> yeah. Apple. Like, yeah. they just, yeah. like, they want you to be on their side. Yeah, for sure. Like, fucking, no matter what it is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, an, what it's what type of car thing. you drive or yeah. the way you eat. I mean, that's a lot of what even even being a vegan is. I mean, there, there are people that they, they want to have less cruelty and they're doing it for all the right reasons. But then there's people that just, they're locked into a different ideology. And that ideology to them has become a part of their identity. And now they're trying to tell you that raw fruit is the only thing that you should be eating. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I have a, I have a big aversion towards, um, not aversion, I have a, a tendency to really like, inconsistency really kind of it's like jabs me in the eye like mm. so it's just kind of like when somebody talks to me and it's like well you can believe whatever you want if you want to be a vegan it's your choice absolutely i respect that matter of fact i try to accommodate in the hospitality industry to make sure again i don't like apologies so let's make some good veggie dishes and stuff right. like that rather than here's a salad or let me just remove the meat and you can do that um but when you start talking about cruelty and everything stuff, I'm like, well, how far have you taken it? Because do you, what about other products? And what about the leather belt that you're wearing? And what about the leather shoes that you're wearing? And, or and the, the, the horrors of monocrop agriculture. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, I'm not trying to call you out to say that you shouldn't be this way. It's just that your reasoning behind it doesn't compute to me it just right. feels a little bit inconsistent it's like if somebody comes up to me and talks to me it's like whether you want to do this health this is healthy for you or that is healthy for you and it's like yeah but you also eat like it's like we're talking about somebody who says that or they're concerned about what they put in their bodies or whatever it is and you're like if anybody has ever done i had a conversation the other day it was like if you've ever done any recreational drugs you really have no right to talk about that you're concerned about testing and and whether or not something has what you put in your body because you didn't vet that stuff. I'm okay with you not wanting to do that. But again, the consistency for me is to say that just believe it across the board um, or 
don't believe it across the board, but it's to me, it's like that's the kind of conversation that I have with somebody is to say it's like even with, like you said, dogmatic things when I just naturally start poking holes and stuff because I'm just curious as to see what what it takes to break an argument. I just think there's a fascination for me to break down an argument. Whether or not I still believe it at the end of the day doesn't mean anything. I still I might still believe it and say that that's the, I still want to do that. Like I said, inviting this guy in to speak to me about their religion and at the end of the day, I might believe in my religion and still say that, hey, that's fine. But at the very least, I let you speak your piece, you know. I think the, the, at the end of the day, the big problem is, is people that identify with their ideas. And their ideas aren't right. just something that they're examining. And, you know, there's there's things that are you know, obviously cl- cleared. You know, don't kill, don't rape, don't murder, don't steal, don't light people's houses on fire. These like real clear things, right? And then as you pass those, you get into grayer areas. Like this religion versus that religion. Like why do you believe this and why do you think that's wrong? What and it it becomes your identity in a lot of ways. And when your identity is wrapped up in ideas and these aren't, again, not moral or ethical ideas that we could agree are beneficial to communities and beneficial to groups, but instead just ideas that you have decided to adopt and that these now are a thing that you will fight for. You know, blue no matter who. Right. There's a, a lot of those dummies out there, right? And they just have decided that the Democratic Party is right no matter what, or red. Red till dead. You know, there's those people too. And that like that kind of nonsense thinking. Like and you support these ideas as if they're literally a part of who you are. Right. Because changing that mind requires you to change your entire identity. Well, identity. It makes you, it it forces you to think. No, no, what I'm saying is like yeah. it's so difficult because if yeah. you associated your entire identity with this idea, yeah. when when somebody disrupts that idea, your entire identity is disrupted. Yeah, well, that's so dumb. That's just yeah. such, and it's so fucking common. It's probably more common than not. More people are probably idea connected than are not. Yeah. You know? I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think you said it also a very, uh, very good point, which is uh, who, who has the time? That's a big one. I mean, because it does take me three times longer to read to read a news article. Yeah. Because I got to vet. I don't have to. I could be like a lot of other, probably most people, but they're counting on it. If I if I read this they're and something doesn't vibe vetting. with me, I sit there and I go look up and I do research. Yeah. I mean, we don't all have a Jamie right next to us, you know, yeah, checking everything that we say and calling us out if I was wrong. It's like the idea that forever for this whole time I thought that Jay Z said that quote. Right, and then you yeah. like, then I was like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, and yeah. so, but it's like, but we don't have most people don't take that time. Like, if somebody else would have corrected me on the on the on the, on the bus, and I don't know if anybody would have taken the time to Google that and make sure. Well, that's not even important, right? That's not even important, right? Like but important shit that <laughs> important people stuff, yeah. have to look up and yeah. try to figure out, like, why are we in Afghanistan, or why is this happening, or why is that important, or why is this law being passed, or what's you know, what's the real motivation behind this drug being pushed? Like, what what the fuck is going on with that guy yeah. who's... And th- there's so much of that in this world that it's... It, you could lose yourself. Like, if you didn't have a job and your entire day was sifting through the news and trying to find truthful narratives versus propaganda, you'd lose your fucking mind. 
How much do you think is that's because how much do you think right now the the exaggeration of it is because of that because that people have a chance to now consume so much of this information I think that you know locking people in their house where they just have access to the internet like, I think I, I thought about it this way when I remember we were in um in the beginnings of our first quarantine kind of lockdown thing and I was like well, I still had Netflix and I still had FaceTime and I still had, I mean, it didn't, I was like, this is fine. Like I really, it wasn't that bad. Right. It, I wasn't going crazy, but I was like, imagine if this happened in 1985. Right, right. I mean, and you and you had to wait till the next morning to right. get a newspaper. Well, maybe the newspaper wouldn't even be printed because nobody worked in the newspaper. And imagine if the newspaper was as full of shit as CNN is. And then you got it, you're lost. You really don't know yeah, what's still, true or yeah. what's, what's lies. You What's propaganda? Have, yeah, you have that one thing, and yeah. so I was thinking, like, man, how how difficult would it have been? How much more isolated would it have been if we just can only get the information twice a day, <sighs> once a day, and at one channel, to two or three channels, local news or whatever it was? You know, we didn't even have that, you know, whatever. Well, so, there was so much propaganda back then that just slipped through the cracks. It took forever before something hit the light of day. Right, right. Where something was an obvious, like especially the government shit, like yeah. Gulf of Tonkin incident that led us into Vietnam. I mean, there's a bunch of those yeah. instances There's a lot where, of gatekeepers back then. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah. And there was agreements with the news. The news yeah. had agreements with politicians and, mm -hmm. and government agencies, and they, yeah. you know, they followed the narrative. And... I just, yeah, so I think that maybe us now with access to all this information and all this content and all this data and all these people, all these voices of somebody that used to do 10 minutes of Twitter now doing four hours of Twitter and just mm. sit there and getting in these loop rabbit holes. I mean, it's got to be damaging. I got to, like we said, a lot of it is junk food. I treat a lot of it like junk food. Like, you know, I love a potato chip every once in a while, but if I ate it for eight hours a day, I think it would probably be pretty unhealthy. And so it's like consuming this kind of garbage. Yeah, there's a guy named Alan Levinovich and he's, uh, he's, he's looked at it in the, the same way you look at processed food. That's how he described it. He's like, you, you you can't eat all processed food and you can't eat all processed information. And that's what it is. It's like this mm -hmm. social media version of information is just processed information. Right. And you're getting it in these weird sort of bursts and it's all boiled down with preservatives on it and not filled with nonsense. It has an agenda. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, I think that there's a, a monetization of of human suffering I think is difficult. You know, anytime you have that opportunity to where, because it's more interesting and it's more, you want eyeballs onto your content. So you just, it's it's a very simple algorithm. It's just, we just need eyeballs. So whatever got people to watch it, then let's get more of that instead of stuff that's not interesting. You know, that's might be just very boring data, you know? And so I think you just tend to lean towards that kind of stuff a little bit. And I think it's tough. Yeah, I, I just, that's the, that's the stuff that it always fascinates me a little bit. It's just because I think, I think it takes us, I don't think we have, a lot of people have that kind of thing. I think that a lot of people are just like, oh, I don't, I don't bother with that. I don't, I don't take the time to think. No, about they don't that. have the time. They don't take the time. And that's oddly enough where podcasts have sort of come in to fill that void. Because in podcasts, you can have two intelligent people just sitting down talking about stuff in a way like, well, maybe that's not true. Maybe this is true. Let's find out. Let's discuss this and let's figure out why people are saying this thing that is clearly untrue. 
and saying it across like multiple platforms. Like, what's the motivation behind this? Like, yeah, that's a thing that didn't exist before. Because first of all, in the past, we didn't think of the news as being this thing that was lying to us. Yeah, and that's that's a real recent thing, and I think a lot of that was exacerbated during the time that Trump was president because the media was so upset that Trump had become the president and so upset that this, what they thought this con man was now running the entire government that it's time to fight fire with fire. And so they started attacking in the same way that they felt like he was attacking, the way he would, you know, call people by a nickname, you know, Lion Ted or, you know, fucking Lion Hillary or Crooked Hillary or, you know, you have all these nicknames for people yeah. and call the news the fake news and like, God, we have to fight fire with fire. We have to attack the same way he's attacking. But in doing so, they've undermined their credibility to an almost irreparable way. Right. And that's what's scary. Right. What's because scary is that the amount of people that actually trust the news now is fucking lower than ever. Lower than ever. And I think it's because we all believe that people have an agenda. Even yeah. even with science, people think we are so used to people having an agenda yeah. that people think that there's an agenda with everything. Yep. And there might be. I mean, there's not to say that there isn't. I think that that's the balance of it all to sit there and say, I'm again, I'm even victim of what we're talking about right now, which mm -hmm. is to say that while I believe that we probably lean this way, we're not to say that it's a purified, like I, that it's no such thing, that it's not possible that there's some puppet master out there that's really kind of affecting this, this way, with that, the third. But I'm just saying that at the end of the day, um, not everything has such a mastermindful type of thought process behind it. I think some of it is a lot more um, simple. I think it's a lot simpler. Sometimes it's about just money. Sometimes it's about just- Most of it's about money. Yeah. that's Most of it's about narratives. N narratives that are set up in order to have people extract money from a system. And that's what's really scary, is that you follow the money and it's right there. And, you know, many yeah, people have diabolical. talked for years about getting money out of politics and getting money out of, to, to make it so that these people that make these huge decisions that affect policy, affect the way we're allowed to live our lives, that there should be no money being exchanged in these decisions. There should be no motivation. No one should profit from these things. No one, no one who wants to be a politician should ever get exorbitantly wealthy from being a politician but yet that's the case over and over and over again and that's dirty that's right. that's dirty and that is what affects these people and that's what affects the way they behave and the way they communicate and the things they talk about and the things they won't talk about maybe sometimes are, is as important yeah i think that that's that goes in with the incentivization of certain things. And that's yeah. what I was talking about earlier about the incentivization of human suffering and stuff like that. There's there's a fascination. I think there's a there's a comedian that um, named Bo Burnham. You heard of yeah, him? sure. And he's got this whole bit about talking about how it's weird. It's like a company that manufactures rape whistles. It's like there's a conflict of interest. Oh, that's a great bit. That's a great idea. It's you true, know, right? It's like, like they go out of business. The goal is to do that. I remember right. I, I sat in, I, 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 and let me turn this on its head, I, I, I sat on a couple charity boards and they talk about it in a very corporate way. Growth, mm -hmm. fundraise more. We're up 25% from last year, right. we're up 10% from last year. And I was like, I want this to be the last board I sit on. Mm. I want this charity to end next, next year. 
because I want to finish what we just are doing right now. I want to be done with it. Right. You know, I want us to be like, why do we have that charity? That problem is solved. We looked done. into this problem. I had Coleon Noir on and he schooled me about homelessness, uh, you know, because we were talking about Los Angeles. And he said, do you know why the homeless situation gets worse and worse and worse? He goes, because people are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as a salary taking care of the homeless. And it doesn't get any better because there's no incentive for it to get better. And every year the budget gets bigger and there's more homeless people. They do the opposite of fix it. Right. And so he started showing, he pulled up all these figures and showed us all the data, particularly for Los Angeles. And you're like, oh, like they're farming homeless people. Oh my they're God. literally, dude, there's people in Los Angeles that are making quarter million dollars a year working on the homeless problem. And that fucking homeless problem is broken. Like, they are not doing a good job with that. Right. It's, it's fucking terrible. It's, it, but that's exactly <clears throat> it. I think that whenever you talk about it to incentivize that, it's tough. You know, I think that it's, I, I see it a lot. It's, so we see it, I see it in that kind of situation where, where like, if we, if, 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 the, if the product that, or, or the, the, that whatever you use is human suffering, then the logical said, in order for me to make more profit from it, I need more suffering. Mm. You know, it's like there's all the way we talk about. There's more, there's more money in the in than the treatment than it is in the cure. Yeah, that's terrifying. Right? And so it's like so then and that, but that's that's very very systematically simple to think about. Right. Like it's everyone understands that I make I make a sandwich. If I can make, if I can get the bread cheaper, I'll, I'll try to do that. If I can make the bread, you know, I can get this more. I can get it to more people. All the, these are all this some basic business one hundred and one. And so, but then you start doing that with other things that are a little bit more needed for society, insurance or healthcare or you know prison system, all this stuff. When you have money attached to it, the incentivization starts to become human experiences, and so then you start have a situation where. Yeah, in order for us to like use like we said, like Bo Burnham's bit, there'd be weird to sit. Imagine sitting in the boardroom and talk about sales are plummeting, but that would be a good thing, right? In theory, but it's like no. In that in this world, it's like you'd have a situation where you're like no, like if the insurance company sits there and goes, "Hey, we paid out millions of dollars last month from actual people that needed our service." You're like, we got to stop that. <laughs> like it's like a weird conversation to have, right? But you, you can't treat certain things the same way we treat businesses, and the problem is they do. Right. Like if business is booming in the burger business, that's great. It means more people want burgers. If business is booming in the homeless business. That means you you are yeah. not doing your job. You are right. allowing the homeless crisis to get worse and worse, and you're getting more and more money, and the budget gets bigger and bigger every year, and no one hits the brakes on it because it's literally farming. Sure. They're farming homeless people. Sure. I mean, and that's the case with so many problems that we have in this society. Yeah, it's There's people whose job it is to take care of that situation, and if that situation goes away, so does their job. That's right. So there's zero incentive. That's right. And that's the thing, is even even talking about even politics, like, like the idea that that becomes your job. It's yeah. like, well, the intention is for you to stay with that job. Nobody wants to lose their job. It should be a, a, a countdown timer like like I said it really became prevalent to me in these conversations with these charities that I sat on that I'm talking about was that we want my last check we want the last check to bounce we want to be right we want right, to raise right. X number of dollars and say we're good right go raise money for something else 
we this is enough for us to finish this problem. What's well, spooky when you look at a charity and you find out how much money the actual charity gets, like how much goes to the actual problem and how much goes to administration costs and how much it goes to the salaries of people that are involved in the charity. And you're like, what is this really? Like, is this really charity or is this a job? You have right. a job and your job is to do this. Yeah. And if you keep doing this job, you keep making money. But if you fix the problem, you have no job. Yeah. And then, but the, the, the point of that, again, we're talking about is, is that, you know, the marketing that's required to do that, you know, it's the idea of saying how much effort is put into to fundraising and how much time yeah. it takes also. So there's a lot of resources that are attached to that, you know. Right. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm building that, we're building the big art park out there at, um, up by the airport, Hope Outdoor Gallery. The it's a graffiti art park, with music venue, and everything with the with art. And we have this drive that says that art should be free. That we want it to be that way. But it's a for profit business. And what our thought process was: in order for art to be free, we all art has to beg for money all the time. You know, the museums and everything like that is constantly charity driven. And we're like, well, why don't we tie in? The reason I'm involved is from the F&B perspective is to say, if we get a whole bunch of people coming here to view art for free and then we sell them all a drink and a hot dog, they could fund that art product. And then we could always make art free because people are going to naturally spend money on it anyways. It's kind of almost like an amusement park kind of business model. Mm. And um, it's it's like to me, it's a little bit of a disruptor in that way is because to sit there and say that these type of things, these, these the arts, quote unquote, you know, it's like, well, how do we, to make it become a self-sustaining machine as opposed to constantly trying to fundraise? Well, you have to throw a gala for a hundred grand to raise 150 grand. <laughs> then, then you actually only made a hundred grand, only made 50 grand. And so it's like a weird thing to where it's like, well, why don't we try to kind of start this machine and then just be done with it and say, let, let this kind of Also, it's like when someone says art should be free, like, okay. No, 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 no. Access to art. How oh, about that? Access how about to even art. that? Because like to me, well, because I think that allowing art, it's like steel sharpens steel, right? I think that there's a thing to say that street art, for instance, the kind of person that goes out there and to practice or to learn or anything, to mm -hmm. be able to express themselves, I think it's important for people to do that. I don't think that everyone has their inner vandal to go out and, and do that. Or especially- Their inner vandal? Right. It's like, because how, if you're going to be good at, at, at street art, you have to go and paint up some public wall somewhere. And it was one of the things that we noticed while we built the big art park, the, the big- the graffiti park that was happening downtown town that was the original place um it allowed people to go in and just practice and allowed to just get to get some art in there and this is like sitting there saying that i our belief was that the the leap from like let's say musicians or even a food vendor there's a lot of steps that gets all the way from serving it out of a food truck or a really hand good. cart right to a michelin star Right. How does a, a, a street artist get right. to be excellent? Right. And then on top of that, there's a huge jump between selling your stuff on the street corner to the MoMA, right? And it's like somebody getting a million. And it's all arbitrary, right? I mean, Banksy did this thing a while back where he, whoever he was or his, his minion or whatever it was that sold <laughs> pieces on the street corner for 20 bucks and then did it all on social media, whatever, and then showed people that, hey, you just bought an original Banksy for 20 bucks. It's probably worth a lot more now. And nobody, and people just liked it because they liked it and they were supporting this one random artist, but then the exhibit was in there. They do that all the time. There's this guy that was playing violin in the subway outside the Philharmonic and he was actually gonna go in there and play it late at night for a concert. And these people were tossing him 50 cents as opposed to paying $200 to get a seat at his own thing. And it's like, 
And so when I say that, I'm saying that we need to be able to get to the point where it, it the education part, the skill side, to 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 separate the wheat from the chaff and say that, hey, this is what I want to do for a living. Let me teach you how to do it. Our goal is to say, if you're an artist and you want to make a living being an artist, it shouldn't be a risk in that way. You might not be good at it, which is fine, but I need we need to teach somebody how to start a corporation so that they understand how to do their taxes properly. We need to tell them how to, cop, to, to trademark their stuff or copyright their things so they don't do this kind of stuff or the education somebody so where when somebody says they want to become an artist that like they don't have to start off. How do you have the time that. to do all this? How do you have the time to do all this while you're involved in multiple businesses and restaurants? Restaurants, luckily at this point, is backfilled, meaning I, I've left a day-to-day operations for the restaurants generally. We have managers and we have people below. And we have Do you ever step into the kitchen? No, no never? not anymore. And, and you also, miss that? Well, I never, I never cooked on the line at the restaurants. I, I don't cook that way. I, I don't like cooking that way. I, one of the reasons why I never became a professional, professional chef in that way was because I don't want to cook the same thing over and over again. I was always mm. talking about I cook like jazz. Like I'm, every meal from it's different from day to day because I whatever I feel like. So you that just day. establish the menu, yeah, help I was establish op- I was, it. I was operations, hundred mm. percent. Like I'm an operations guy now. I do hospitality consulting. It's like if, like I said, if you know, if you sat there and you're like, "CK, let's open up something. Let's let's do it." I have 20 years of operational experience. I can talk to chefs and speak educated to a, a to a culinarian. I can also talk to a bartender and understand about that. And I can also talk to an accountant and talk to them about how the business needs to run to be able to be profitable. Like they, that's the part of me that, that that's the experience that I have. The part, the love I have was the final product mm. is this, this experience that people have. Kind of amazing that you've managed to navigate that world though and get to the other side while still maintaining your love for the food itself and the way it's cooked and I think that's what I think that's what did it though. I think that me not having to 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 grind to, to grind. Yeah. To turn it into that. I think that that's I think that's where that's what kept me sane. I think that if I had to cook the same thing, if I was the guy who invented chicken wings, he probably never wants to see another chicken wings <laughs> <laughs> that guy. <laughs> that's probably... a good point, right? Like you're you're kind of a prisoner to, to your own success. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I remember talking about I remember I had a band that played at the nightclub that I ran that refused to play their hit. Because they were just tired of it? Tired of it. Ah, and I'm like. What band was that? <laughs> it was. Uh, you don't have to say. Okay. If you feel bad. Well, it's just. It was one of those things where I was yeah. like, I get it. Pray Freebird. Sort of. Right? Yeah. But, but I'm like, yo. Play Freebird, bitch. But, but hey. <laughs> That's what got yeah. you here, man. Come on, man. That's why the people are here. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also weird, especially in your industry. That was the weirdest shit I've ever seen in my life was I went to go see uh, Brian Regan at the at the, um, the W, whatever it is, at Moody Theater. And at the end, uh, he did an encore, and uh, and people were just yelling out bits from his Comedy Central s- special. Mm-hmm. And he was like, normally people come to his show to, to hear new stuff. Apparently y'all aren't like that. So he just like, all right, name three bits and I'll just do them. He just did like he did them like word for word. It was actually wonderful to see because I knew his old material and I was like, man, as I talk about rehearsed and I mean, like I said, the 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 part that I admire about your 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 
job is that you're telling a story and it sounds like the first time you ever told it but you guys have rehearsed the shit out of it well, those, there's guys like him and Gaffigan there's a few of those guys that have these signature bits right. that like with Burt Kreischer it's like the machine story yeah. it's like he doesn't feel like he can get off stage unless he says the machine story so he'll do his whole set and then he'll have to tell that story yeah, too that's his free bird yeah, it's, yeah there's a prison in that yeah. Oh, it happens with Dave. I remember a couple times I watched Dave and people just- I'm rich, bitch. Yeah, just start screaming yeah. bits at him. And I'm yeah. just like, I don't, like, what in the world? But what a weird experience it is as an audience member to to want that, to just be like- It's just drunks, too, though. That's a part of the problem is one of the things about nightclub performing and performing, doing stand-up is you're guaranteed to be in a room full of drunks. Yeah. It's like there's very few jobs- yeah. Where, you know, like if you go to a concert, I guess concerts are pretty similar in that way. But there's very few other art forms where the people that are consuming the art form are almost guaranteed to be drunk. Yeah. But in comedy shows, man. It's... But what's weird about the comedy part is that the part of it that's amazing is the part that you want is a surprise. Yeah. The punchline. Some line. people do. Right. With music, I understand. I want to hear that song. I can listen. I can burn out. A, uh, I can burn out a song. Some just... people want that fucking bologna sandwich over and over and over <laughs> yeah, and over and that's over. True. That's true. Yeah. They never grow up. Well, my nephew, who's two, you know, yeah, can play peekaboo for four and a half hours. Yeah, but <laughs> that's that mentality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then some Do people, they they just want you to react. You know, they just the want to be able to say something and then you react to them. Yeah. Yeah. They just yeah. want to know you're you recognize that they're alive, you know. Yeah. Just want to yeah. disrupt. And and people oftentimes are selfish too, so they don't care if it fucks up the show as long as they can get you to react. That's true. Like uh Dave and I did a show in Vegas uh, a few weeks back and um there was this fucking guy who kept fucking with him and then, you know, finally he had to yell out, "Man, we just shut the fuck up." And you could tell how upset he was and how upset the audience yeah. was. It was just this dummy that needed attention. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there that think that that's okay. They think that they should be able to just get attention. Oh, got you to talk. You yeah. know, they, they think that's fun. They're just like a human troll. It's so weird. It's so weird. But uh, like I said, I, 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 watch, I watch that interaction and it's very... It's fascinating to me. I think that, I think that it's... I, I always look again when I was talking to you about who it first invented fried food. I mm -hmm. think about the same thing with your profession. Just the idea that we're, we're bartering pre-money. The idea of saying, I wonder what came first with the idea that we could sit there and go, yo, that dude, Joe, go to Joe, have him tell, me, tell you the story about what happened to him last week. But he's going to, you're going to need a chicken. He's going to take, you need to bring him a chicken or he won't tell you the story. I think it might've started. They think it probably started with Mark Twain. That's, that's that late. Yeah, there's. Oh yeah, yeah. Stand-up comedy is very recent, recent very recent. Mm -hmm. And then it became a different thing. It became things where people would just tell joke jokes. And then along set up the line, lines, set up line. Lenny Bruce came along, and Lenny Bruce was heavily influenced by drugs, and his his love of drugs, I think, also led to an erosion of the sensibilities of the common culture. Like he, he felt like they were foolish and he would examine them and discuss them and, and then talk about all these like sort of taboo subjects and talk about all these things that we just took for granted that are really kind of ridiculous. 
And that was Lenny Bruce is the real godfather of modern stand up. And then there was Mort Saul, who existed in kind of the same era. He was more politically oriented, and there was quite a few other people that came around that w- that were influenced by him. And then you know George Carlin, of course, and Pryor. And Pryor mm. was the first guy to take that sort of brutal honesty and turn it on himself and make it very personal and very relatable and also just masterfully funny like he was so much funnier than anybody that had ever come along before him so much funnier that that even though comedy is uh it's very connected to the time like if you try to watch some comedy movies from the 80s they look so dated and Mm -hmm. stupid but if you can watch a Richard Pryor special from 1980 it's still damn good yeah Damn timeless. good, yeah. Because yeah, he was timeless. so he was so good that it transcended, but it, it still doesn't explain to people. It doesn't it doesn't really resonate with people how good he was back then, because the time's so different. Like the era is so different that if you could somehow or another transport yourself back to 1983 and watch Pryor, then you would understand. You would if you, but you would have to exist in the time period right. to real to be able to really appreciate how groundbreaking he was. I think about that way with some some musicians at the time. You know, just the idea like I can't. I watch concerts, Hendrix, watching Kendrick, or even like the Beatles and people like yes. passing out. Yes. It's just the idea yes. that you're like listening to it. I'm like, I don't know if I. Would, that's like I like the Beatles, right? But I don't know if I'd pass out, right? Like just to be like they had never, never heard, heard anything like it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's just it's to me it's very. Uh, it's it's amazing for this type of craft, and I think that uh, it's something that you know. Like I said, it's it's I admire the creative the creative process of that because it is it's it's storytelling in a in a way. Yeah, it's all the all the things, whether it's music or art or any kind of art, all these in food and it's, uh, it's literature, all these different things just make life a richer experience because you're sharing in the way other people view and express themselves in the world, the way they view the world and the way they express themselves in the world. You share in that and you get a little bit of something, you get a little bit of an understanding of how they make you feel and then you're more aware of how you make other people feel because of that. Yeah, and I think that helps us. I think, yeah. I think that that's why I think we talk about it is one of the things that Dave does so well, you do, um, the comedians that I enjoy watching the most, have a way of of really kind of bridging these gaps a little bit, mm, you know, because yeah. of being able to, it's almost like tricking us, the listener, to, through comedy, of saying something that I agree with, and then at the very last second going, ha, right. you actually agree with, we actually agree with the person that you didn't agree with. Right. And you're like, crap. Right. You know, or you're saying something that I'm about to be offended by and then turning it at the end and go, oh, I said that already. Like, I believe that actually. Yeah. Damn. You know, and, and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that aspect of of being that there's a there's a there's a masterful there's a maestro level of conducting of a crowd that I really, really love. And that's what you're talking about. I think there's something about how exciting it is to see a room full of people enjoying your food. I just think that it's like. You know my brief stint when I was in high school theater, and when you had when you got a line when you got when you got the line that you're like this is a line that everyone's gonna laugh at, and, mm. like, and knowing it, it's just like set up, knock it out, you know, and is is this feeling? And it's like I remember I was at a Wu Tang concert in London, and it's just like just like to play a crowd like an instrument to be able to sit there and go everyone throw your hands up, 
boom. Everyone throw your W's up, boom. Thousands of people doing whatever you want. How could you not feel like right. jump, this side jump, this side sit down, this side do this. It's like, right. how, how do you not have a rush from that? You right, know, it's idea. also it's crazy. This, the fact that you're participating, you know, like you're a part of the experience. You're not yeah. just experiencing, you're a part of the experience. Yeah, and as a comedian, I think that that's, to me, is is what, it is. How do you address a room of a thousand people and make them feel like I'm part of that experience? It's crazy mm. to me. It's amazing that that we do that. I, do, I think that, that the ones that I enjoy are are the ones that make like I'm watching it on TV and I feel like they like they're talking to me. Like you know, what I mean, it's it's really really kind of cool. And that's so, the one thing that's really amazing about this time. Is there's so much art. There's so much stuff that people have created that you have access to that can change your perceptions of life. And they can enhance your perceptions of life, and, and, and enhance the way you the way you understand how human beings think and express themselves. There's mm. so much of that now, and I think you said it right. We need to start a tribe where that is a joy. Yeah, like like we should share in this. Like, yo, I discovered something, rock my world. Right, I, I, I believe this forever. And instead of going like clutch my pearls like right. i can't believe consciously that. attempt to not be polarized like consciously work on it yeah. don't embrace polarization don't embrace embrace these ideological rifts between people don't em- embrace any of this tribal bullshit that people are addicted to today that's got to be something that people really strive for yeah. and that can help us that can help because at the end of the day, most of us just want to have a good time. They just want to have good experiences with their friends. They just want to laugh and eat good food and, and listen to good music and just enjoy their time on this earth. Yeah. It's fleeting. It's Dave's little kindness conspiracy. Yeah. It's like just to be start off with be kind. How about that? Yeah. Like just take for a second to just sit there and say, what would you say to this person if, you, if your ultimate goal was to be kind first? Yeah. Just how would you talk to this person if you had any concern about whether or not this person would get there, would get, would feel like pain from what you're saying? Yeah. Would you, would you take some more, would you take a second, take a beat to sit there and think about what you're going to say? You know, so yeah, I think that, I think that, you know, that's, that is, that's how I live my life. You know, I think that ultimately that, and again, the restaurant industry helps because we're a watering hole. All yeah. kinds of people eat, so I'm one of those things that I'm particularly blessed in that way. I think that I've come across uh, as many different types of people as possible. I speak freely about my beliefs generally on, on you know, two people, but at the restaurant, we all got to eat, and so I'm happy to serve you despite what you believe and despite what you like. And again, it's if my ultimate goal is for you to have a good experience and to have a good time, I. I, I want to treat you that way. And if we want to sit down and talk about some stuff about how you believe, I, I, I treat I, I take it through that same filter. You know, like I said, I don't judge you for it. I, I don't, I think I will openly tell you that, that I don't like that way, but here's your ketchup. <laughs> That's yeah. a, it's a good way to wrap this up. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Man, thank you it for having me very on. Very enjoyable. I, it. Yeah. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. And uh, thanks for having an awesome restaurant. Just being a general, all-around cool guy. Man, I appreciate you. Appreciate you, too. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.